Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. We have to get him because he's very good. You know, Mark, Mark reminds me of when I used to stand on the on the corner and do doo-wop. <laughs> You're not Italian. We need, that, that's Italian for you. Oh, hey, Jews did that. Come on. <laughs> you know, they just made their hair funny and they changed. They put an O on the end of their name or something. Lipschitz E. Didn't you know what the Italian kids named Lipschitz E? <laughs> hey, we're 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 all just trying to fit in, and we all look different. But this 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 thing that I passed around to some of you is uh, 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 exactly what we do in the study. It's photographs of kids who've been vaccinated, and then their eyes don't work, and their nose doesn't work, and their mouth doesn't work, and their face doesn't work, and they don't work. And that's what we see in the study. We have photographs that people send us photographs when they're not dead. They must be alive if they send us photographs, and they're younger. Now, don't tell any of the girls this. They won't believe you in the first place. Well, they get more, more pretty. Well, more beautiful. You know, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. And if, if, if you're just a little bit younger than Richard, and you look in the mirror and you think you are more beautiful. I haven't ever asked Richard if he thought he was more handsome. I thought that's a dumb thing for a boy to ask a boy. But, you know, when it comes to the girl telling you they're more beautiful, oh, I listen. You know, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say, well, can you describe why you think that's happened? And when they say their face is reattached, and their eyelids are, are sort of back where they should be, and they don't have jowls anymore, and turkey necks are not allowed, and there's a, a glow in their skin, and their eyes are bright, and they can remember enough stuff to make sure that their husbands are in serious trouble. But that's how they get the husbands. That's how they get the husbands to take the sulfur. They get in such serious trouble, they have to do something to keep her quiet. Yeah, especially nocturnal activity because of their, uh, their libido increases. We heard that last week. Uh, to leave you. <laughs> well, the, the you know, and he's uh, I haven't heard back from him. You know, I'm, I'm probably gonna have to bug him. I hate to bug doctors, uh, but he's you know he's retired from the practice. The uh, on Tiffany's show, I guess about a year ago, a guy called in from Missouri, and he says, we're having a real problem with hardwood out here. Did burn his Yeah. And, you know, and, and so let's get back to this uh, high-altitude uh, thing that you've done for, the, for years and years and years and years. I think if you were to research the condition that we, we, we don't discuss uh, among pilots, you may be surprised. Well, you know, 
then that information really should be out there. One thing that's always concerned me about that is, you know, because even especially uh, air travel is that frequent, uh, frequently flying, you know, the cabin pressure is up to 8,000 feet. So that's, right. that's, that's oxygen deprivation. And the I, island, thought it was, okay. I thought it was 5,000 feet. Well, you can well, go up to 8,000 feet. Adam, the ratio, the higher up in altitude you go, the, the higher up the, the cabin altitude goes. No, but I mean they, they pressurize it to a certain standard. Even when you get on the plane before you get up there, they do, I thought. Now, in the old planes, 2,000 airmen during the Second World War had their intestines explode and die because of that pressure difference, by the way. But I thought now they pressurize it. Pressure, yeah, you yeah. pressurize it now well, at 5,000 as soon yeah. as they close the doors, and then you're at that set thing, which of course messes with your ears. Yeah, let me, let me, yeah, I have to, I don't think you're aware of this, Adam, because you're from Ann Terrace. Um, John probably has more Pilot uh, hours, yeah. you know, hours flying uh, jet airplanes than I have uh, hours flying hang gliders. And he knows, definitely, I'll defer. Yeah, I have one yeah. hour of flying time. <laughs> no, oh, it was, uh, I am not omniscient, I could be wrong, but that, that was my understanding. And yeah, hours. How about twenty-seven thousand hours in the contest? <laughs> nobody, nobody gets that. But I, but, but I'm like Richard's uh, referring to the lawyer. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for more. And the more time you flew, the more money you made. And I had expensive habits. So. Do you remember? Uh, yeah. Do you remember a, a tilt-a-wheel uh, game in Coney Island or someplace where you they would spin you around, but you were standing up. And so, so what you need to do I, because you've been, I, yeah, you've been, you've been sitting around so long, John. That what you need to do at home is stand up. Oh no, I'm at the gym every day. So I'm, I'm no, 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 no. I, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm talking about reversing the amount of time you spent sitting on your butt. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, you haven't. No one, no one in your community has ever told me how cute your butt is. Well, I hope not. I mean, we don't look at this. Well, because girls, why do you think girls like Italians? They got cute butts. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> hey, I've talked to a lot of girls. I'm sorry, I've got some, I've got some research here. <laughs> Patrick, if we can digress, uh, because we got Adam, and he brought up something that just piqued my curiosity since he brought it up, and we were talking about John Beard, who, you know, a turn of the century came up with the trophoblast theory of, of uh, cancer. And uh, then we pick up with Donald Kelly, William Donald Kelly, who had, incidentally, uh, 33,000 cancer cures and, I mean, validated hospital records, et cetera. And, when, and you know, I, I visited with him. I talked. We were on the show uh, every week. He was a doctor emeritus, you know, doctor second opinion. But uh, And I asked him, I said, well, how did you find – because he had – pancreatic cancer when he was uh, uh, 38 years old, I think. And he cured it because he just, he went and he looked at the Krebs brothers. They, they were the ones that re, re-brought the, uh, the Beard's theory up. And, uh, but he says, oh, it was the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, Doc, I'll give you that. But the Holy Spirit showed you the way that Krebs uh, researched. But anyway, it worked. And it was a trope of us. But but Adam, what did you say um, when I mentioned the the uh, the diploid, uh, you know, that's in the uh, vaccines today, the, the people's tissue, and you said they, something that? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, they're, they're embryonic tissue. It's the same as what they were using 
to cure cancer with and to get cancer with. So they don't know how to use that. And by the way, Beard was not the founder of it. He gets credited with it, but it was actually, I can trace it all the way back to about 1840 in France, where it was known by researchers then. And if you go through your medical books in the 1910s and 20s, there were probably hundreds of doctors that knew about it. There were there were theories, just like you would have a, uh, say, a major doctor's theory today, like Dr. Salk or someone like that. It was that well known, and not by Beard. Beard just happened to get picked up by people like Kelly and Gonzalez and uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Old and people like that, and so he got the credit. But as usual, our history is distorted because usually many people, uh, many more people are involved than the one we give credit to. Uh, you know, but, you know that's it's the it's the herd. If you if you if you don't vaccinate everybody, the herd will get sick. And if you don't vaccinate everybody, somebody will be smart enough to realize what's going on. They also you know, know back then that shock brought on cancer. Now they know that chafing, constantly rubbing something will bring it. But they knew that one theory, like getting stung by bees, can bring on cancer. But it brings it on where the embryonic tissue is, act basically activating the trophoblast cell, which think of it like a, it is like a, uh, uh, a contractor in a building that doesn't have any more work, so it starts building its own uh, uh, therapy because it's out of out of work. So the trophoblast cell, which, by the way, turns off in the body at exactly 57 days of uh, uterine existence, and if it doesn't, both the mother and the child in the in the womb die within one week of choriocarcinoma, the deadliest cancer of them all. And the degree of days after that the pancreas fails after 59 days, 50, uh, 60 days, 61, determines the degree of cancer you're going to get and how serious it is. So they could trace back to find that out quite easily. It's interesting you say that because that's one of the basics of uh, embryology. And I learned all that same thing from Kelly because it ex- and I and I'm looking. I just had to quickly add up my mental. Uh, immature mind here, seven weeks is 57 days, because Kelly always said it was seven days of the embryonic development or the fetal development that the formation of the infants or the fetal um, uh, pancreas was formed, and that started secreting its own pancreatic enzymes. If, and that's what stopped the trophoblast, which was the, you know, the, uh, the development, but if that did not occur, what happens, just what you said, the most deadly form of cancer with choriocarcinoma occurs and uh, dies. I mean, that, that's exactly correct. So, that's I mean, why it's, the, it's, the pancreas uh, is always involved with cancer. In fact, diabetes is a defense against cancer, so people better be careful how they cure diabetes. Oh, well, you know, the uh, uh, being the, the, the worst result we could ever have in whatever this discussion is, is dying. Would everyone agree? Well, dying is really the worst result. Uh, I mean, eventually we're going to have to do it, but as long as we can put it off, then we have another day to learn. So uh, we sort of challenge anyone who will join the study to die. If, if, if you join the study, if you get sulfur from one of the directors or anybody, or even from American Voice Radio, you you agree not to die. And so it's it's sort of an easy deal. I mean, if we've convinced you not to die right off the bat and then you don't die, well, then it was a benefit whether we get the credit or not. We don't really care because you're still around. 
Patrick, we, we have got attention. this. We have got this very omniscient. Uh, uh, maybe he's still omniscient because he's from outer space or whatever. But uh, with Adam, and uh, what you said, we in our study, you've got 500 cancer cures. We've got 104 end case. All right, and all the sulfur does it brings oxygen. It's the oxygen transport mineral deficient. Okay, we know that. We go back to our discussion with John Beard and Kelly and the tropoblast and all this development. What's the connection, Adam? Because this is beyond my pay grade. What's the connection with oxygen and the tropoblast? Well, my take is that sulfur is even greater than delivering oxygen because the archaeons, a type of, uh, they used to think they were bacteria, operate on sulfur without need of oxygen. So it can actually replace oxygen. That's why it works as an oxidant. Otherwise, we couldn't explain the doctor who was on last week using an antioxidant to fight cancer when you're using an oxidant. Sulfur can do both. Vitamin C cannot do that. That's my That's thing. Right. You know, uh, thank you for making that point. And, and let's you know, remember that vitamin C is a combination of minerals. Sulfur is just a mineral. And so I, I would imagine, like, when people tell me about the stuff that's working for them, you know, I have to, I have to pipe up and say, yeah, that's sulfur. I mean, aloe is sulfur. All the tree oils are sulfur. Pine pitch is sulfur. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's only 24 minerals of life. You going to bed? Okay. So, anyway, Patrick, if I may, for a listening audience, because I was confused by this for a long time, what the hell is an antioxidant? And if you look at an oxidant, and, and, and uh, Dr. Levy was pretty good about that, but an oxidant is an electron stealer. An antioxidant is an electron donor. And, uh, you know. And okay, I want, you, I, want, now, I want you to listen very closely because I'm going to make this so complicated. Um, when when uh, oxygen is in the bloodstream and it's not uh, chaperoned, by hemoglobin and a red blood cell, then it can oxidize anything. And if your blood vessels were made of iron, it would oxidize and rust your blood vessels. Okay. Okay. So what's the downside of that? Uh, you 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 leak all your blood out and die. Oh. Okay. Oxygen's okay. a double-edged sword. Yeah. You have, it's, it's, you have to uh, use it correctly. It's the, it's, the, it's the biggest, nastiest guy on the block. And if he's not chaperoned, then he'll just wreak havoc. By chaperone, i.e., he's got to be linked with hemoglobin, he's got to be linked with sulfur, and then transported into the cell as a usable fire for the fuel. All right, what would, what would prevent it from being chaperoned, so to speak? Uh, no sulfur. If you put a if you put a piece of metal outside your door and leave it in the rain, it's going to rust, and that's actually the aging process has a lot to do with oxygen. So you must control it. Uh, anytime you have an oxidant, you need an antioxidant. So the balance between yin and yang, or the two together, is what you always need. But sulfur can yeah. work both both ends of the court. It can be an it's oxidant. A, I, it, or an antioxidant. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, if you have two personalities, you're known as what are you? What are you called if you have two personalities? Uh, schizophrenic? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, I think sulfur can be a little schizophrenic, but 
the thing that's most important that I've learned about sulfur is it's not allowed into the cell. It's flexible. That's it's perfect. never allowed to go into the cell. It's it's just like you trying to go back home to Ann Paris and visit the, your mother-in-law's place, and gee, that don't work anymore. That's why Dr. Ravisi knew that it was all sulfur did its work on the third period of the periodic table of the elements. It never got to number four where the blood is. You'll notice iron is in number four. So sulfur can't go there and affect iron in a bad way. So it works primarily on the lymphatic system, which is the sea level of our body in the periodic table. Straight across, all those minerals you find there will be in the sea as predominant uh, minerals. Dr. Ravisi, that may increase up uh, memories of something. What was the big or big uh, elements that he was involved with? Uh, well, he had what they call guided chemotherapy, but it wasn't the chemotherapy we know of. He didn't use any, uh, what do you call it, patented drugs whatsoever. He used common things like baking soda and vinegar and things like that, that make and some of them would be chemical, but he followed people to make sure they stayed acid or alkaline and the lesion, because you can't blame, you can't measure your acid alkalinity from your urine or from your saliva. <laughs> you, you have to measure at the side with a Beckman pH meter to go into the lesion, because obviously we're buffered to uh, to take care of that. But the lesion loses its buffering ability, and that's where the cancer, the aging, whatever whatever happens. Basically, your over alkalinity leads to aging. Your over acidity leads to cancer, and you need to balance between the two because you don't want to age and you don't want cancer. All right, did Ravisi do that? Uh, tested at the uh, very the successfully, and he lived to 101 years old. His license was taken away, and a whole bunch of people got his license back when he was 101 years old, just before he died. He managed the hospital and also was involved in the psychological nature of. Uh, cancer because he got Lawrence LaShawn a job in the 50s for seven or eight years at Trafalgar Hospital when no one else would take him in because they wouldn't acknowledge the psychosomatic aspects of cancer, which definitely exist. Go ahead, John. You're on a roll, Adam, and, and, and i got another burning question. Maybe you, you have as on this chin as you are. You might have an answer. Hard tumors, we understand. There's a chitin cell around it. Proleolithic enzymes, the tropobiotic, it all goes in and blah, 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 in the immune system. What happens with leukemia? I mean, leukemia, are we going to the uh, the, the bone marrow where the, the red blood cells are manufactured uh, and, and that screws it all up? Because I got a friend of mine who's got a type of leukemia and this is bone and, you know, she's a doctor, so her mentality is all with uh, drugs and what have you, and she's got one that uh, she says keeps her alive. But What's going on with leukemia here in the tropobiocell and sulfur, if you can just put it all together? Maybe. My understanding of that is sulfur would be particularly beneficial for that type of cancer because there's two types of cancers, and they have arguments about it. One, it's generated in inside by genetic alterations. Two, it comes from carcinogens on the outside. Well, the truth is they meet somewhere on the way down. So a carcinoma is closer to the DNA. It usually is more internally generated, while lymphomas and leukemias and things like that are more generated uh, toward the upper, and sarcomas are somewhere in the middle, which usually, in, usually involve lymph tissue. So you need to know which the four classifications of cancer 
and what period of the periodic table of the elements they can be tuned into. And by that, you definitely have a guided natural chemotherapy, not a chemotherapy that we talk about. Uh, Revisi did not mean the type of chemotherapy they do now, which is an all-out attack on the body. Right. But in any case, uh, again, going back to the beginning of the we started the human fetal development starts with one tissue, and then it goes on, it doubles and done. So when we end up as a human being or a formed adult, we've got uh, almost 100 trillion cells. And to my knowledge, every cell functions the same. We've got 200 different kinds, brain cell, heart cell, uh, liver cell, whatever. But they all have mitochondria. Mitochondria is the energy for our listening audience if they don't know. It's the energy furnace. produces ATP. It's the nitriphosphate. However, I'm sorry. If there's oxygen. If there's, right. And and exactly. And where I'm going with this, one of my heroes, Dr. Frank Schallenberger, I alluded to earlier, he says it's mitochondrial dysfunction, and it's all about the lack of oxygen. And who said that in 1931 got a Nobel Prize, uh, Patrick? Otto Warburg. Warburg. Yeah. Yes. So we go right yes. back to oxygen. And, yep. and Frank is a contemporary uh, Otto Warburg because he says it's mitochondrial dysfunction. So my question again, uh, why don't we get the oxygen that's required for, for functioning mitochondria and energy and homostasis. I mean, we got a human, a healthy human being. We don't get the oxygen. Lack of sulfur, that's one way. Yep. Yes. I agree. Can, 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 can I make an, an observation, if I may? Just, if I you may. Like, like a, well, uh, sorry, a, a question uh, to, to, to Richard, to, to, to MDs here. If, yeah, and, and if we lived in a hypothetical um, um, society here, we only administered, let's say, sulfur, um, yep. intravenous ozone, maybe, and or hydrogen peroxide, or three. No, vitamin C. oxygen, too. Yeah. Um, uh, vitamin C Vitamin C would be... See, if you put sulfur in the system, you have your own hyperbaric chamber going with you. Right, right. But, okay, so, so like, and uh, from going from that Otto Warburg document and that, that uh, anaerobiosis and saying, look, uh, basically, basically, all cancers, all viruses, or bacteria cannot survive in a, in a high oxygen environment. So, if when we're talking about um, the lymphatic system and um, the other systems, sorry, it's a bit too technical for me. But if you were just to supply oxygen on an ongoing basis through either three of those means, would we still have cancers? Well, no. we didn't have cancer. We didn't have cancer before we took the sulfur away. Well, we used to have more oxygen back in the primitive. Uh, prehistorical times, the oxygen was around 40 percent in the air. Now before it's down the Fed, to 20 30. Before the Fed, we had oxygen. <laughs> there you go. Don't, don't blame that on the Feds, though. <laughs> okay, well then we'll go to break. And if you come back, we'll have this the last half hour, and we're going to tell you who the winner of the old '54 Chevrolet is. All right, come on back. Oh, no. 
unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be neither. Messiah's Branch Methodist Mission Church in Wichita, Kansas, that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children, once at home, now in the streets. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 65851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific.
Pope Patrick. Sounds like we lost something, doesn't it? Well, it sounds like we lost Patrick or something. Hello, Richard. Hello. Okay. Hello. Okay. My headset died. My headset died. I mean, I, I, I hate <laughs> these funerals. My headset died. Well, you better go. You better purchase a Cadillac headset. Stop using these old retreads. Hey, I, you know, I, I'm not cheap. I just can't find one. I'll have to order one through the catalog, the Sears and Robot catalog. Well, I just mean it's not manufactured in communist China. <laughs> oh, I don't, as long as it works, I don't care where it's made. Now, but let, listen closely. The, uh, you know, I want to thank everyone who's, who's been kind enough to join us tonight. And this is two hours. Uh, Dr. Stamp, of course, and John, of course. And Adam, of course, and Mark, of course, and uh, and if I left someone out, of course, like, well, Frank, he just said, "Don't let him talk." But you know, the the whole idea was, do vaccines work? Well, vaccines that were made from biological things seem to have worked. You know, smallpox would stop killing everyone. Well, maybe it was going to stop killing everyone anyway. You know, if you've ever seen a group of starlings flying around getting ready to head south through this intricate pattern of whatever it is, the dance of flight, then you understand that things are cyclical. So, you know, what the, the bubonic plague hasn't come back. Well, we sort of cleaned up our act. But to put something that was made from the attire from an old 47 Willys Jeep and then, you know, and so it's going to protect you. And all you did it really for was the money. And maybe you wanted to kill everybody off. Could be a 10 to 21. You know, I just, I just don't think the businessmen are that stupid. You know, you don't kill off your customers. So, but whichever way, it, it's the, the right of the parent who is the protector of the child to decide. And so when mandatory starts, then, you know, I, I'm afraid someone's going to get hurt. But if you take no. sulfur, we double dare you to die of anything. Um, You've proven that. I don't that. care what you got. I don't care what you got. Yeah. You got something that's going to kill you in the next eight or ten minutes, well, you're going to die because we can't get the sulfur to you fast enough. We don't overnight. You know, it, we had drones. We could fly the drones out to you and drop it on you. Uh, but it's our responsibility to be healthy, and that's what the nature of the cellular matrix study is. You know, we tell people to take sulfur. We don't tell you not to do anything else. We just say take sulfur, drink some water, get some sunlight if you want, fool around. Fooling around seems to be very effective. And, uh, you know, and, and so we just observe what's going on with them. Well, you know, considering that they continue to call for more sulfur, that means they're still alive. Now, isn't that a clever way to run a study? I mean, you know, basically, you watch you try, you watch what people do. You don't try to tell them what to do. You just watch them, what they do, if they do anything right in the first place, like eat real food. Now, have you started eating real food, Adam? Oh, yes. Us Ontarians eat food on time. Oh, exactly, exactly. Now, you know, and... Uh, for those people who may have been impressed with your snappy re- re- uh, rejoinders, what's your website? It's uh, it's uh, 
sunsinknutrition.com. That's sink, S-Y-N-C.com. Uh, and the, the distinction is? Uh, sunsynchronized nutrition, it stands for. And by the way, people can read my blogs on one radio network. I'm a regular there for since 2011, I guess, since I've been writing a blog. One of the leading stars. <laughs> well, there's... Uh, I haven't really done a lot of reading on your blog, but, you know, I've heard what you say enough times that, you know, the last thing that Adam wants to be is a star. Well, except, except if he could, if we could do a remake of The Three Stooges and he could do his belly. That uh, works, yes. <laughs> exactly. And some of these are just insider jokes, but it's okay because no one's listening. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this, this is a whole lot better than going down to the bar and talking about the girls that you had, you know, because we get a chance to talk about the fact that the human body is a biological entity and synthetics don't work. Uh, I listened to a fascinating um, interview on uh, Coast to Coast uh, last night. With a guy who's uh, it's all about just just health, and he was explaining how poisonous, you know, all of these pharmaceuticals are. He said it's just insidious, and uh, he actually explained it away very, very well, very thoroughly. I've got to get his name. You know, you know the fourth leading cause of death uh, in the world is side effects Iot- from drugs. <laughs> Iotrogen. No, you're kidding. And Patrick, and, and actually, Adam, who, who's, who makes that claim? The American Medical Association themselves. They incriminate themselves with that. Yeah, so this is not just an opinion. <laughs> wow. no, it's a fact. You can find it all over the place. And it is yeah. their own research, and yet look at what we've got. Well, we've got, we've got, we have the lie. Patrick, yeah. if I may, just take two minutes because we're in the last half hour. What we have is a, a contemporary issue of these smart meters. And I just, uh, going over my notes, and I, I realize that I just answered one of the answers to my question or my query earlier, what prevents the oxygen from getting to the cell? Now, just for our listening audience, because here I was ignorant, you know, back before you guys started talking about smart meters, you know, um, this is a it's a depopulate it's part of the agenda 21 uh, these smart meters it's a depopulation scheme devised by the United Nations in 1992 to exert more control over the guise of saving the environment and saving the environment is what the green peace movement the green movement and this was alluded to last night in this conference we had uh, three speakers there and one of them said this is where the inception began with the green movement and isn't it funny that uh, you know it's a saving the environment but uh, what, what the problem with these smart meters, they disseminate dangerous pulse radiation waves, which are hazardous to immune health and lead to many diseases. Now, here's the point. I made a double connection. Usually, the, especially cancer, but usually the elderly and anyone with a lowered immune system are most susceptible. And that hit me when, when, I, when I heard that. I said, wait a minute. I've seen this before. When the chemtrails are sprayed over a city or an area, the ones most susceptible are the elderly and anyone with a lowered immune system. Hello, what's going on here? But anyways, to answer my question, one of the things I learned last night, and uh, this, this uh, 
the title of this program is Take Back Your Power, and anybody can uh, go Google it, takebackyourpower.com, and see this movie that I paid $11 to see. With, uh, but anyways, they have uh, live blood cell and a dark field microscopy. It's live blood cell analysis. And you, you prick your finger, and they put it on a, on a piece of glass slide, and they put it on this powerful microscope, and it, and it views the blood living. It doesn't kill it. It's live. And they have a phenomenon called Rouleau, R-O-L-L-E-U-X. And Rouleau is like coins stacked up. And this is not normal RBC, red blood cell movement, especially when it goes through the capillary. Got to be yeah, one, one form of RBC thick. Yeah. But what happens... There's no oxygen between the cells. Exactly. There's no oxygen between the cells. Right. And this is what happens with the smart meters. And they did it with three different slides. They showed it. Somebody affected, but not no illness, and then a one and twenty, and that's somebody with illness, and that was was where the rouleau was. So if they got no illness with rouleau, no illness blood. No, 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 the original no, no. green moment, the original green movement was involved with dumb electricity. They knew they've been taken over by Agenda 21. Agreeably, it's a, it's the Canadian billionaire circle called the Golden Circle is greatly involved in it too. By the way, I know some. A lot about that organization because the CIA, remember, ran its MK Ultra out of McGill University in Montreal. I didn't well, know that actually was McGill. Wasn't that Montauk? Pardon? They ran a day. MK Ultra was run out of there too. The head of the American Psychoanalytics Association was involved with that, and it was a pretty big conspiracy. Psychotherapy actually works, but the old kind, back when they had the mind controls the body, now they've got it, the enzymes and the chemicals, the dopamine and all controls the mind. They have put the cart before the horse so they can give people drugs. You know, and when that happens, uh, the horse poops on the road. Right. In fact, how people get cancer is through genetic instructions. Where do those instructions come from? The mind. So once you control yeah. the mind, you don't have any cancer anymore. Once you get rid of the engrams. I'm not talking about the Scientology ones. I'm talking about the Richard Siemens ones. Well, the, uh, remember, as we, as we charge at the end of the hour, it's the lie that synthetics, will never make you better. It's the lie that synthetics will ever be better food. It's the lie that genetically modified is for the benefit of all. They sedate, which is another word for zombie-like. Now, hold it just a minute. You said who? Uh, They sedate, and that's why people feel good. Zombie-like, wooden... Indian. I thought it was an available girl. I just I didn't understand. Um, the uh, uh, and, it's, and it's sort of like that, you know. When men fall from power, most often it's a young girl with a nice body, because men some fall victim to this sort of stuff. The CIA has made good use of that one. Well, you know, I've always sort of wanted them to send a couple of decoys, you know, my way, but they just haven't taken their time. Well, that's another story. 
another question regarding okay, we're talking about minerals and oxygen and, and you know, self awareness and um, you know, obviously you've got to you know, you've you've got to be sensible and, and create for yourself a healthy environment and um, you know, less stress and whatnot. But in in, uh, in all of your travels, um, more, more so the, the, the people like the uh, MDs or anyone on on this uh, on this call, how big a part does self awareness, by way of um, recognizing the ability to heal oneself, have a role to play alongside of taking the, the right um, self medication, meaning the right minerals like sulfur and, and, and other things. Uh, have you seen people heal themselves because they have a healthy out, outlook and a healthy mindset? And is that also yeah, part of the part of the education that you, you, you give these people? If I can answer first, the um, I think the best example is that an 82-year-old widow, she's probably 85 by now, maybe even older, and her, her husband died. Now, being that she was about five feet tall and 82 and Jewish in Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is mostly black and Puerto Ricans, she was afraid to go to the store. So she was wasting away over fear. So a dear friend of hers suggested she add organic sulfur to her diet, and now she goes to the store anytime she wants, and everyone leaves her alone because they think she must have a 44 in that little cart she's dragging behind her <laughs> as she walks that way. I was in the same room when someone got off their deathbed. My wow. uh, gr- girlfriend's mother was going to, was, they said, the doctor said that she's got 24 hours to live, get down to San Diego. All the na- all the relatives flew in from Indiana, wherever it was, and Nebraska and came. We met at the airport. We all went there. There's a lady about 80 pounds soaking wet, uh, whining with all kinds of tubes in her. And uh, my girlfriend said, well, uh, oh, why don't they just unplug her and let her die? This is terrible. Well, I always have the idea that you should fight to the very end. So the mother caught my eye, like, who the hell are you? So I, I, thought, I thought, what would my Swami friend do? And I knew instantly, I walked up, and I grabbed her hand, little hands in mine, and I said, repeat after me. Okay. I am a winner. And she screamed it out, and she was out of the uh, intensive care within the hour. Yeah, everybody had to go home. <laughs> and they stopped her away in a nursing home. <laughs> but to answer Mark's question just a little more fully, what I've seen over the years is, People who are definitely crazy, and you can tell that I must know some of them. But people who are definitely crazy stop being definitely crazy. And and, and it's the ability to remember who you are from before kindergarten. I've I've really never met any pre-kindergarten crazy kids. You may have. I haven't. You know, and so it's, it's the... It's the, it's the biology that makes the mind, and then the mind tells the biology what to do, and sometimes the bi- mind doesn't listen to the biology, and then the biology says, well, watch this, sucker. You know, we can, we can convince ourselves to be sick. We can convince ourselves to be healthy, but if our bio- biology is in sync, it's a lot easier. Fantastic. Just might not the mechanism be... And, Mark, it's interesting you brought this up because 
just what uh, Adam referred to, his, his girlfriend said, or no, the doctor said she's got 24 hours to live. Who yeah. heard that besides her mind, right? And if you think about this, Dr. Emoto, who's done all the water uh, studies, he says yeah. water has memory. So yeah. if you look at our body, 80% water, our brain is 90% water, our, our blood is 91% uh, water, whatever. If, this, if, if all these water is hearing these bad things, that's why uh, anger and resentment and holding grudges, it, it, it pulls down on you. So you say, sure. it, you know, is it your personality? No, I, I think it's the water, the memory in the water. And that's why you got to stay away from negative people and da-da-da-da-da-da and think positive. Yeah, yeah. And, John, John, look, instead of staying away from them, just, get them, just convince them to buy organic sulfur from you. Then they won't be negative anymore. Well, maybe you're more successful than I am, but I... <laughs> well, you, you've proven you've proven that you actually do have a, an ability to sell something on occasion. Well, we're starting, Patrick. Slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, you know, and anybody who wants anybody who wants to get sulfur from John, what's your phone number, John? Two zero three 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 six eight zero eight three. They won't, but I won't let him fly anymore. So we're going to have to let him fly on the on on the crystals of sulfur. Hello. You know, uh, everybody needs it. Don't tell Ron Emanuel. Don't tell him. You know, because what will happen is he'll start to consider someone else other than his silly self. You know, maybe, maybe if, if we got Michelle to take sulfur, she could probably tell Barack to take sulfur. Then he would stop trying to play a game he doesn't understand. You know, and, 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 and we're the recipients of the, of the uh, you know, the monopoly tokens. You know, it's our children who fight the wars. These idiots decided a good thing to do. So we're getting Netanyahu to take over. While he's in Washington, we'll give him Marvel's Bridge Punch. While he's in Washington, he'll become a nice guy. And then what are they going to do? They'll let the people from Palestine move into the houses. He's coming to Washington to talk to a joint session of Congress. How is that in the American Constitution? And he's not even talking to Obama. I love it. I think... I love it. <laughs> Hey, Patrick, real quickly, if I may, I just want to add to what Adam was talking about because uh, he mentioned uh, MK Ultra Mind Control. And, and isn't it funny that all these school shootings, especially Sandy Hook with Adam Lanza, uh, and I think it's all in government, but anyways, isn't it funny that they commit suicide? We can never get any evidence. They all commit suicide. That's part of it, the Agenda 21. Well, the, That's part of the mind control, the MK Ultra Mind Control. We double dare anybody, including the uh, ultra mind control people, to commit suicide because once they start taking sulfur, they agree not to die. You know, it's just really simple. You know, all you have to do is set the parameters at the start, and then everyone pays attention, and everything works just fine. You know, we don't want to destroy the entire economy of the world, we just want to change it. Little by little. Well, you know, a pound at a time. Well, one pound at a time. I know it sounds stupid, but anyone who knows anything about sulfur, they understand what I'm talking about. The, you know, the value of having Adam on the show is, one, he's an alien, and two, he doesn't take sulfur. By the way, did, no, did, maybe yeah, he'll start. <laughs> you know, who knows? We're getting, you know... We could uh, invade Antares with, with sulfur. 
like, you know, I, I try, anybody who's from another place in, from the world and now lives in the United States, I try to figure out who in their home country should be learning about soul. Because, you know, I'm, it's my job to tell everybody. Is that too obvious? Everybody. You know, everybody needs sulfur. I don't care where you live. I don't care what, how you part your hair. You know, you may need other stuff, but, you know, if you put the sulfur in, it's remarkable how you can glean the other stuff, which sometimes is in micronutrients, and do quite well. Um, the uh, my, my friend's mother is 94, and she was worried about how her hair looked. Now, her son thinks she's dying. If she worried about how her hair looked, then she's not dying. Patrick, on that note, uh, uh, my neighbor, my good friend's ex-wife, uh, she had cancer, breast uh, surgery and what have you, all the chemo and all that. And her hair's been a problem. So she started, and remember, a journey begins with the first step. So she says, she listened to my spiel, and she says, well, the lady's got something there. She listened to the show. She thinks you're a funny man, too, so she likes your show. But anyway, she started, and she's been reordering it. Why? Because her hair, she's a redhead, is so lush and just so manageable and what have you. That, that was her um, acceptance of sulfur, her hair. And, you know, women are vain, so. We all, we all have different triggers. And in Ecclesiastes 1, it says, Vanity, all is vanity, saith the preacher. Now, if, if, you, if you read some of, the, some of the book that has some other bullying, they may not run into that. But it's interesting for what we do because, you know, we have girls who talk to girls. That's how we get study members because girls talk. I, I really don't want to dispel. We don't have any girls on the show now, so you know, they can't speak up for themselves. But they talk. Sometimes they talk trash. Sometimes they talk benefits. Too often they talk trash, but often they talk benefits. And if they understand the benefits, then they stop talking trash. Uh, even down here in Australia, uh, it's quite incredible, the vanity side. You know, I can tell them about all the great things in sulfur, but then it comes down to, to ladies, hair, nails, and, and skin, and they go, oh, really? And then they notice difference, and that's why they take it. And then the guys just would be, I said, yeah, this is great stuff. I keep taking it. And I go, oh, dear. Well, if it, if it works that way, fine. Get the message out that way. Well, if it's, uh, when I first learned about sulfur, the people that I knew were people in the car business. I happened to be in the post-engineer business with the people I knew in the car business. So I came swooping down on them unsuspectingly and got some of them to actually take the sulfur. And none of them died, and all of them made more money. This is the car business. The only way you can make more money in the car business is you have to use both of your ears and keep your mouth shut. Because that's the only way it works. Mm. That's an amazing observation, of, and it's really across the board, is chocolate. And okay. people tend not to want to, and it's not, not for any um, um, pre-ordained idea to, to cut down on sugar, but like chocoholics, they're just not wanting to have chocolate anymore, which is, which is 
this is up. You know, and I and I want you know I want to apologize to the Australian chocolate uh, industry. I want to apologize. The other thing that's interesting is the same thing happens with vodka and gin and bourbon, scotch and tequila. Oh wow! And rum. You know, people whose 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 blood, if you know, you go to John's uh, poke your finger and look at it under the microscope you would see that it was about 84 proof. The blood was all alcohol. Patrick, I was not aware of that. I mean, people that have this desire for alcohol, it diminishes? Or yep, I or? drink on occasion now. To everyone who called in, and remember that it's your choice, and the vaccines are a lie, and big corporations are a lie, and we love all of you, and we even love those people because they'll take self and they'll become human beings again. Good night. Good night, everyone. Planet on the box I see. Acmes build a world to be. Take a chance, grab a piece. Help me to believe it. What kind of American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel. And AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Two things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, AVR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is, what is it? It's the 22nd of January, 2015. It's about 9, no, 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 10 minutes after 8 p.m. If that's all true, we'll be back. Five. And that means you can uh, join in, 800-596-8191, or you can go to the American Voice. That button, click it, all the easy instructions, you'll be in there, you can... them or, you know, make comments to me or them, and uh, you'll be participating, because... I'm in the chat room. Opportunity to somewhat like-minded people that does. Got a better chance than, uh, you know, I don't know. Some people in your family. That's where most people seem to have their problems. Knowledgeable people that know a lot of things from, you know, systems to people's other things, and it's always the same thing. Yeah, my family, they don't listen to me. They won't listen to a word I say. It's amazing, but it goes to show you that one of those things is that familiarity breeds contempt. See, your family knows you too well. They figure, you know, eh. why would I listen to you? I know you. That sort of thing. Like when people, you know, oh boy, you're, you know, you're on the radio. Oh man, this, that. Wow, you're just a person. More than they expected better from you than just to be, you know, a regular person. What happens, I think, I believe, I mean, where do all these truisms come from? They come from people who have witnessed this throughout time. Anyway, so, doesn't mean you shouldn't try to keep talking to them. Hey, if for no other reason, you know, when they're laying there, suffering and dying and everything else, you can say, I told you so. Yep, that's right. You lost your house. You lost everything you own. I told you this was coming. I told you you should have prepared. Oh, you got killed and raped and uh, murdered by gangs. I told you you should have got a gun. But no, no, you said they're too dangerous, and I'm a maniac lunatic. And hey, well, uh, hey, who's the maniac lunatic? You know, stores, food, eat. 
I'll get some health food. You know? Maybe I'll just stop eating. Hey, that's, that's fine. If your job is just to tell them. Just tell them. Let them know. It's up to them to, uh, you know, make their Anyway, uh, where did I leave off uh, earlier? I left off with Alan Keyes and... Uh, and much was about Alan Keyes. Look, I, I realize Alan Keyes is a globalist. Okay, he's a former UN globalist. If you listen to him talk about uh, international affairs, you'll see that he is a globalist. But he is also, when he talks about domestic affairs, you know, he is too. At least he's he's okay, and he he has ideas about how to do things the right way for America, but there's this globalism thing that I have a problem with. But you know what? Out of everybody who has said, well, I think I might run I would rather see Alan Keyes than any of them, okay? Sorry. And it's not really voting for the lesser of evils. Globalism. Then again, his view on globalism may not be as extreme as I believe it is. I could be wrong. He may just, you know, want to get along with everybody else in the world and trade and do that. Hey, you know what? The forefathers, they wanted to trade. They just didn't want to get involved in the internal politics and, uh, you know, Europe's foreign wars and all their BS that they get into. They don't want any part of that. They wanted to still trade with everybody. Well, I mean, I was told yesterday to, to look up uh, McKinley, the pre- President McKinley, and he was opening up trade everywhere. He was even opening up trade with China. Everybody thinks, well, you know, Richard Nixon was a, hey, guess what? If they wouldn't have killed McKinley, he would have had trade with China, what, 100 years before Nixon was ever born? So let's see here. Let's start off with this. Obama is a liar. Oh, why, why don't I just read that again? I just love hearing it. Okay. <laughs> it's rare that we have had to endure from a president so many lies and misrepresentations combined with such other contempt for the express and voted will of the people as we saw last night. I think that's very well put, don't you? Of course he's talking about the State of the Union. Now, you know, probably would have been a better time before he actually kind of touched on this, that called the State of the United States, called the State of the Union, right? The Union is a descriptive term. That means the several states. So it's the state of the state. And he didn't address any of that. It never gets addressed because talk about that. Hey, they've got good reason not to want to talk about that. Why do you think it's always senators who rebut the president? 
senators traditionally and rightfully, although it's not the case, their position is to represent the state of the union. That's why they give the rebuttal. To say, yeah, well, that's the way the president sees our state, but that's not the way we see it, and we are the state. This is why I want, you know, I would love to see the 17th Amendment go back to where the Senate was actually controlled by the state, not by the psychopathic corporation. That is who owns your Senate right now. Two ways about it. That is the House of Representatives is, you know, bought and paid for by, you know, little groups of people that can get together and put their money together and give the congressman lots of money for his campaign. But all in all, it's still people. So what we have here, folks, if Mussolini was right, and, well, yeah, you can call it that, closer and more accurate to call it corporatism. That's what we have going on in this country. Is That's the economic system. But then we have, well, our political system is communism. After all that disagreement, okay, uh, we'll divvy it up and uh, let's see. The fascists can run the economy and the the government. Oh, isn't why I like deadlock a lot better? He goes on to say they're all believing that our republic is dead and that their business now is to govern. It's not to represent. It's not to respond to the will of the people. It's just to do what they please with the power of government, and that's feeding Obama's dictatorial arrogance. The sentiment was clear in the polls and at the polls, and yet he's able to be arrogant like this because he knows that in the respect he has that leadership in his back pocket. They're not going to challenge it. Talking about guys like Bonehead. It's also said Obama intentionally did not mention Christians and their ongoing persecution around the world during his address. That's because it's quite evident the agenda for Christians now in this country, as it is in many parts of the Islamic world, is persecution through the courts and the de-legitimization of even the expression of views. In the very same speech, he dares to tout the reduction in abortions when he is the premier champion of the so-called right of abortion. How can you speak as if abortion is a bad thing and you're glad it's reduced and then tell me you have to defend this right to do something that apparently you admit is wrong? Oh, man, huh? I think of it as gangster government. Gangsters are people who actually get self-righteous about their right to do wrong. So if you interfere with their criminal behavior, you have to be severely punished. And that's what we're seeing in this society. 
Well, my, my, my. You see, how would you like that guy as president? I kind of like that. And you know what? There's, there's somebody in the uh, chat room says, how about Pat Buchanan? Well, you know what? Uh, I like Pat Buchanan as a talk show host. Guy, and I'd love to see Pat Buchanan on Alan Keyes. But uh, no, as far as Pat Buchanan as president, uh, I prefer Alan Keyes. But then again, I mean, if it came between the choice of anybody who said they're running, Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, you name them, the ones that have all said they're going to run, I'd pick Pat Buchanan over any of them. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, here's some big news, folks, and I'm sure on Monday evening, Dean and I will be talking about it. I mean, there's a couple of things. Huge that, you know, it, <laughs> Monday night with Dean is always uh, kind of interesting for me, too, because I never know what Dean's going to bring. Bring some things that are sometimes seems off the wall, and then I'll have a day like today. Okay? You know, say all this stuff that I is just off the wall, and I'll be like, uh huh, uh, okay, well, you know, uh, over all the years, though, I've learned not to just say, oh, that's crazy. Sometimes I've had a day like this. For instance, powerful Saudi Arabia King Abdullah died. That's right, King Abdullah died today. Uh oh. What's this going to mean? This could be very, 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 very... Saudi Arabia is the one driving the bus on the oil prices going down. Is it that way, or is it going to go the other way? They've already picked the guy that's going to take... But the thing is, going to stay the same? Are Saudi Arabia's ties with China going to get... Are they going to fund terrorism more or less? Things are going to change, folks. Things, you know, look, Obama could drop dead tomorrow. Get all shriek in, in horror as Joe Biden gets sworn in. But at the end of the day, it really wouldn't change much. It wouldn't change much. The United States just go along the way it's going because we have a bureaucracy the size of the moon, okay? They're really the ones driving the bus here. But Saudi Arabia, now the king has advisors, and of course he's influencing. But at the end of the day, he makes the decision. And. And New York City. New York City. Heard of a guy named Shelley Hurst? Said things to, like, uh, crooks. Baldwin is a crook, and he's described in detail his crookedness and his crimes. And, oh, guess what? Kelly got arrested today by the feds. 
But he's not going to be the last guy arrested. Well, well, well. That's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Yes. New York Assembly Speaker. Silver. Arrested on corruption charges. This is like dragging John Bonehead off the Congress and into the jail cell, folks. This is big. This is the assembly. This is the speaker of their house, okay, in New York, arrested on corruption charges. Hey, you heard it here first, man, before it happened. Wow. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Taking millions in bribes. Called a Jewish power broker. Press marks collapse of Lower East Side gang. Prosecutor says, stay tuned for more. Uh, <laughs> oh my. Gee golly. Now, thing to remember, folks, tie this in and keep, keep note of the fact that. Obama was all pissed off because John Bonehead invited Netanyahu to come speak to Congress without first okaying it with the White House. Now, you see, Obama's Obama's refusing to meet with Netanyahu. Israel, and he just won't meet with him because, well, you know. Here we have, do you really believe that under any other administration, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. Tried for way too long. But could you imagine under any other administration to where the FBI and the Justice Department would arrest the Jewish power broker who is the Speaker of the Assembly of New York? Do you? I don't think so. Now, there is obviously, uh, I wouldn't say a hostility, because arresting criminals is not hostile. Subbing an international criminal state is not hostile. But it is something that is different, and it's showing you. To have Bonehead invite Netanyahu, and they say he invited Netanyahu, but I think it's more like Netanyahu's people got with Bonehead and said, listen, you, we gave you a pile of money. Now we want you to invite him here so he can Congress because Obama wants to make this deal with Iran that we just don't like. That wouldn't be making any deals with Iran or me, I'd probably give them both nukes and say, you know what, have at it. Or I'd go over there and say, listen, both of you, for one, Israel, you give me all your nukes now. Two, you better stop, or I'll nuke both of you. Either way, it'd be like, no, you know what, I'm not getting involved in this family dispute. Both the Jews and the Muslims claim, oh, we're from Abraham. 
get in the middle of family feuds unless you're in the family. And even if you are in the family, you don't get in the middle of a family feud. But that's what we've been doing for so long. But now it seems like there's a little uh, difference in uh, Congress and the administration. APAC is basically admitting they have lost the White House, and uh, they're still hanging on to uh, the House of Representatives, though. Interesting. Oh, let's see here. Oh, man. Oh, about oil drilling. You're going to break, and we'll be back in a bit. We'll play Stump the Room. Good luck.
that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephanie. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still the 22nd of January, 2015. It's Thursday. It's about 8.40 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. Uh, go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. All right, let's see here. We just played Stump the Room, and, of course, see, some people can't even cheat and get it right, Okay. <laughs> but the first band was called Rock Pile, okay? And somebody in the room looked it up and said, Dave Edmonds. Well, Dave Edmonds is a member of Rock Pile, right? But the band is Rock Pile. Now, the funny thing about Rock Pile is both the guys in Rock Pile, I mean, there's more than two guys, but the two famous guys. So famous, I forgot his name. Um, bass player. Well, anyway, they both did a lot of singles. And they both, everybody in Rock Pile played on both their singles a lot. Okay? So there's some stuff that sounds the same that Dave Edmonds single, you know, his own album. And then there's some other with uh, I forget, but anyway, on his, it sounds the same because it's, it really is the same. Except they did okay. This is my my uh, my album. That one's your album. But then the band did albums as Rock Pile, and this is one of the ones as Rock Pile. So no ticky there, bub. Just never win. And uh, but the room did get the second one, legitimately. Alvin Lee, I hear you not. Other people have done that song. Okay, there you go. Nick Lowe was who I was thinking of. Thank you. Uh, I guess Billy Bremer is kind of famous too, but uh, Nick Lowe is Nick Lowe and uh, Dave Edmonds were really the two. But anyway, got to move on to uh, stuff here. Before I get to the oil shale stuff. You got to, you know, remember I brought you the story about the prosecutor that was saying uh, Argentina president and her administration guilty of a cover-up and, and shielding Iran, who did the uh, a terrorist act in Argentina. He was investigating it, and he said that he was probably going to get killed, and he did get killed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now... That wench, you know, I'm I'm beginning to really, really dislike this this Latino Kirchner down there in Argentina because she is just like this typical arrogant Latino wench that I've I, you know I've met these before to where they'll tell you complete BS and they'll tell it to you like and they're insulted if you don't believe them because why I said it so there you go and that should be enough because I said it well guess what she's saying now Argentinian president Christina Kirchner charged Thursday that a prosecutor who died under suspicious circumstances did not commit suicide well that's true but get this but instead was killed in an operation to implicate her government in a cover-up of a 1994 bombing of a Jewish community center done by the Iranians, which the uh, uh, Argentine government covered up. 
because they wanted to keep the oil flowing. Alberto Nisman, the lead prosecutor in the two-decade-old case, was found dead of a gunshot to the head with a 22 in his home Sunday, the day before he was to go before a congressional hearing to accuse Kirchner of shielding Iranian officials implicated in the attack, which left dozens dead. And he supposedly shot himself, but he has no gunpowder residue on his hand. Investigators said Nisman appeared to have committed suicide, but have not ruled out homicide or induced suicide. In a stunning post on her Fedbook page, Kirchner contended that Nisman was killed to immerse her government in scandal after he had been used to publicly accuse her of involvement in the cover-up. I'm convinced this was not suicide, she said. Prosecutor Nisman's charges were never in themselves the true operation against the government. They collapsed early on. Nisman did not know it and probably never knew it. Oh, really? Let's see. He's the prosecutor, and he's the the guy charging them, but they collapsed early on, and he never knew it. The true operation against the government was the prosecutor's death after accusing the president, her foreign minister, and the secretary general of her political faction of covering up the Iranians accused in the AMIA attack. Her foreign minister and the secretary. Gee, this is on her Fed book. Nice how these people talk in the third person, huh? Because they're just so... Of course, she offered no evidence to support her theory and never said who she thought was behind these consent because I said it and that's it and that's all you need to know. Before his death, Neesman had filed a 280-page complaint charging that Kirchner had issued an express directive to shield a group of Iranian Eastman contended that the government had agreed to swap grain for oil with Tehran in exchange for withholding red notices to Interpol seeking the arrest of the former. Anyway, for those of you out there that don't believe women can be just as nasty and wrong. Anyway, let's get on to this. Yeah, somebody in the chat room is going, do suicide. Yeah. Yeah, what, what the heck is that? I guess that's when somebody comes and says, you don't want to make me kill you, do you? I mean, you should commit suicide, shouldn't you? I need this one. All right, here comes the gravy train is over for oil workers all over North America. Now, folks, if you don't think that this is going to affect you, you better think again. People that felt very secure about their jobs just a few weeks ago are now getting pain slips. There are even some people that I know personally that this has happened to. The economy is really starting to bleed oil patch jobs. And as long as the price of oil stays down at this level, the job losses are going to continue. But this is what happens when a boom turns into a bust. 
2003, drilling and extraction jobs in the United States doubled. Jobs typically pay very well. It's not uncommon. Not uncommon. For oil patch workers to make well over $100,000 a year. These are precisely the types of jobs that we cannot afford to be losing. The middle class is struggling mightily as it is. And just like we witnessed in 2008, oil industry layoffs usually come before a downturn in employment for the overall economy. So, if you think that it's tough to find a good job in America right now, you definitely will not like what comes next. One time, I encouraged those who were desperate for employment to check out states like Minnesota and Texas that were experiencing an oil boom. Unfortunately, the tremendous expansion that we witnessed is now reversing. In states like North Dakota, Oklahoma, and Texas, which have reaped the benefits of a domestic oil boom, the retrenchment is beginning. Drilling budgets are being slashed across the board, said Ron Ness, president of the Petroleum Council, which represents more than 500 companies working in patch. Similar budgets and less extraction activity means less jobs. Often the loss of a job in this industry can come without any warning whatsoever. Just check out the following example uh, from a recent Bloomberg article. The first thing oil field geophysicist Emmanuel Hofgit Keith noticed when he arrived back at work before 8 a.m. last month after a short vacation was all the darkened offices. But by the time of morning, the West Houston building of his oil field services company was usually bustling with workers. A couple hours later, after a surprise call from Human Resources, Otka Osakwe was adding to the emptiness. Thousands of energy workers getting their pink slips as crude prices have plunged to less than $50 a barrel. Jobs are not easy to replace. If oil industry veterans go down to the local Walmart to get jobs, they will end up making only a small fraction of what they once did. Every one of these jobs that gets lost is really going to hurt. At this point, the job loss in the oil industry are threatening to become an avalanche. The following are 12 signs that the economy is really starting to bleed oil patch jobs. And, folks, uh, I might want to remind you here that while this is going on, you know, all the jobs that the government likes to say they created, that Obama, of course, likes to take credit for, well, every last one of those jobs. Now, when you say jobs created, what you're saying is more jobs. These jobs. All those jobs, we're talking about, you know, because there's jobs lost and then there's jobs gained. And when they say there's jobs gained, they mean, okay, we gained more jobs than we lost. So you might lose 500,000 jobs, 
and you might gain 600,000 jobs, and that means you created 100,000 jobs, right? That's how they do it. Well, for one thing, that number is deceptive, seeing as how they count a job. Like this, these people, you're making 100 grand a year at one job. Oh, you lose your $100,000 a year job, so now you've got to go get two jobs down at Walmart or, somebody, or somewhere else. Well, now, even though there was a lost job, there's two created. Whee! Yeah, of course, both those jobs are only making you about 40 grand. But it's even worse than that because every one of the jobs created, that doesn't mean all the jobs created, because like I said, you know, if you create 600,000 jobs and you lost 500,000 jobs, okay, you actually created 600,000 jobs, but you lost 500,000, right? You created a net of 100,000 jobs. Every one of those new jobs, they all went to what the government calls immigrants, both legal and illegal, immigrants. That's where every job created since Obama has come into office, that's where every job, next job, has gone to, immigrants. Happy yet? Come on, if you're not happy yet. Let's see, it's being projected that the U.S. oil rig count will decline by 15% in the first quarter of 2015 alone. Hey, that's now. And when there are less rigs operating, less workers are needed, so people get fired. Last week, 55 more oil rigs shut down. That was the largest single-week decline in the United States in 24 years. Woohoo! recovery. Oil field services provider Baker Hughes has announced that it plans to lay off 7,000 workers. Uh, Schlumberger, a big player in the energy industry, has announced plans to get rid of 9,000 workers. Suncor Energy is eliminating 1,000 workers from their oil projects up in Canada. Halliburton's energy industry operations have slowed down dramatically, so they gave pin slips to 1,000 workers last month. Diamondback Energy just slashed their capital expenditure budget 40%. Elevation Resources plan to cut their capital expenditure budget from $227 million to $100 million. Concho Resources says that it plans to reduce the number of rigs that it operates from 35 to 25. Tolo, uh, Tulo Oil has reduced their exploration budget from approximately a billion dollars to about 200 million dollars. Wow, that's a big reduction. Henry Resources President Danny Campbell has announced that his company is reducing activity by up to 40%. The Reserve Bank of Dallas is projecting that 140,000 jobs related to the energy industry will be lost in the state of Texas alone this year. And, of course, it isn't just workers that are going to suffer. Some states are extremely dependent on oil revenues. Just take the state of Alaska, for instance. The one recent news report, 90% of the budget of Alaska comes from oil revenue. But oil is also a revenue source in more than two dozen states, especially for about a third of them. In Alaska, 
where up to 90% of the budget is funded by oil, new Governor Bill Walker has ordered emergency heads to start identifying spending cuts. Sadly, it looks like oil is not going to rebound anytime soon. China, the biggest user of oil in the world, just reported that economic growth expanded at the slowest pace in 24 years. And concerns about oversupply drove the price of U.S. crude down another couple of dollars on Monday. Oil declined about 5% on Tuesday after the International Monetary Fund cut its 2015 global economic forecast on lower fuel demand and key producer Iran hinted prices could drop to $25 a barrel without supportive OPEC action. U.S. crude, also known as West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, settled 4.7% lower at $46.39 a barrel. Here is intraday bottom of 46.20. There is only one other time in history when we have seen oil price uh, an oil price crash of this magnitude, and that was in 2008, just before the greatest financial crisis since the Great Depression. Many believe. We are now on the verge of the next great financial crisis. So, you know, I got news for whoever wrote this. Uh, we're in the same financial crisis we were in in 2008. Go check the Great Depression. Go check what happened before it. Everybody points to the 1929 crash like, oh, there it is. But there were indicators before that. There were lots of crashes. The, the market had to be saved several times before they couldn't save it anymore, and it went down the tube. I hope that you are getting ready. This is on the way, folks. I've been warning you. I think this is a great article. I think it, it, it put out a lot of facts. It showed you what this is exactly step-by-step step what's going on, man. I've been telling you this is what's coming. I didn't give you the steps. I didn't give you the, you know, I'm more of a big picture. Story. But anyway, somebody uh, I am, and all these folks, meaning the folks who are getting laid off, the folks who are losing their $100,000 a year jobs, they all have debt to pay. Ooh, ooh, they all have debt to pay. And you know what else? Think about this, because I saw this happen around here when all the mills shut down. You know, okay, the mill workers, they all lost their jobs. Let's all cry. Oh, boy. Well, go get a different job. Well, yeah, you're going to make less money. Guess what? That means you're going to spend less money. Guess what that means? The businesses that you used to spend your money at are going to go out of business, too. Same thing's going to happen in Oklahoma, North uh, North Dakota, Texas. These states, okay, it's not just going to be the oil workers, because people pulling down 100 grand a year are buying things, okay? They're spending money on stuff, and the businesses that are sell those things and stuff are making money, too. And when there's no more hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, there's no more stuff being bought, which means these businesses go out of business. We're seeing this exact same scenario on an international basis with the United States and China, okay? The United States is the oil worker, the $100,000 big shot that got to buy new cars and new houses and new clothes all the time. Well, guess what? He's not going to be able to do it anymore. And all the car makers and the clothes makers and all of them are going to go out of business. Hey, the United States, hey, we can't spend money like we used to, so we're not buying Chinese junk like we used to. And guess what's happening in China? Oh, yeah, they're having the slowest growth in 24 years. 
If we don't buy, they can't make. What are they going to do with a billion Chinese that got used to having a paycheck? Hmm? China's in trouble, too, folks, the whole world. This is the beauty of tying the whole world economy together. Yeah, instead of just national collapses, hey, we get to collapse the whole world this time. What kind of a maniac thinks this is a good idea? Well, I'll tell you, the kind of psychopath maniacs that are running the world economy and running all the governments of the world and running the corporations. That's the kind of psychomaniacs that we have, and this is what they're doing, folks. Anyway, I'm out of time. Got to go. I'll be back again tomorrow at noon, already Friday again. February again. Oh, man. Anyway. Stay where you're at. We got good stuff coming up. As always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. 
all our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the Premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. We're not in the clear here at all, I and mean, this is not a straight shot here where we can just go ahead and do whatever we want. It's, it's complicated, but but it's new, and there are some things we don't know about it, and no one else knows about it. And as long as there's a there's the slightest bit of vagueness or the unknown element, is is something I'm going to exploit as much as possible.
don't appreciate this. You know, in the last days of the Soviet Union, you had dozens of newspapers, dozens of magazines, all kinds of radio and television stations. The only problem here is that all of that media was controlled by the Communist Party of the Soviet Union or the government of the Soviet Union. We are moving in that direction. There is an illusion of, uh, of choice that's maintained. Have a hundred channels on your... All these different studios and the music industry with so many labels and uh, magazine stands that go on and on and on forever. Well, the, the owners are, are, you know, hands. That is a very dangerous development for those of us who believe in a vibrant American democracy. Fewer and fewer people vote. When polls tell us that fewer and fewer people understand the political process, what the media does is trivialize what goes on, sensationalizes it, makes it entertainment, rather than saying, look, the function of the media is to educate you to live in a democracy, which is pretty serious stuff. you got a media system that's basically a subsidiary of, of corporate America. That's all it is. You're going to have a media system that will not cover uh, stories of tremendous public moment while it will overfocus on trivial stories that don't have any resonance at all. In terms of the political process, you ask yourselves, what are the most important issues facing our country? Why is it? Simple question. With all of the growth in technology, with all of the wonderful globalization and free trade, all of that stuff, all of the increases in education, why does the average American today work longer hours for low wages than was the case 25 years ago? Simple question. Do you think it's seen on television very often? What about the morality of 1% of the population owning more wealth than the bottom 95%? York Times editorial, Princeton economist Paul Krugman addressed one of these little-mentioned issues. According to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, between 1979 and 1997, income for families in the middle rose 9%. Income for families in the top 1% was 140%. Krugman noted, quote, I know from experience that even mentioning income distribution leads to angry accusations of class warfare. Ben asks, why has the response to rising inequality been a drive to reduce taxes on the rich? Question. According to Joan Didion, this is no longer just reported but managed way that sets its terms and states its overall content. As the mainstream media become an anti-democratic force in the United States. What you want to say is, if you have a self-governing society, a democratic society, what does that society need from its journalism? What are, what are the attributes you need to have from your journalism, from your media system, so that people can govern their own lives effectively? And I think there are you know, two or three things that jump out at you if you study the matter at all. And they're really not debated. Uh, one, you need a really hard watchdog. You need some, a journalism that keeps track of people in power and people who want to be in power. Hitler says in Mein Kampf, power forgetting is enormous. This is the case with mass society, right? You have to have a healthy media system in order to counteract that natural tendency. 
got to have that because then people will be sufficiently roused by the notion of having to protect their interests to pay attention. Otherwise, if it's just a spectacle, you know, if it's just a bunch of razzle-dazzle and bullshit, people will naturally, you know, forget about it in a couple of days. And that's, that's, the, that's the pickle that Americans tend to be in. CNN Gallup poll, conducted in March 2003, found that 51% of the American people thought Saddam Hussein was personally responsible for the September 11th attack. Why did they think that? Forget about forgetting. They don't, they don't know. They don't know. I picked up my local paper today. Yesterday, yesterday there was a vote in the House of Representatives, which would have provided, which passed, which would, if it carried into law, provide hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks to a handful of families in the country. It wasn't mentioned in the newspaper. The repeal of the estate tax. Half of the benefits that repeal will go to the richest one-tenth of one percent of the population. All of the benefits will go to the wealthiest 2% of the families in America. You got that? 98% of the families do not pay one nickel in estate tax. I walked down the street a couple of months ago. Guy goes up and says, Bernie, I'm really angry at you. Yeah, why are you angry? I've got $20,000 in the bank, and I want to leave my money to my kids, and why are you stopping me from doing that? Guy's not going to pay one penny in estate tax. So what they do is they poll. They've got very good pollsters off the general ignorance of the populace. People don't know much. Death tax sounds pretty good. Everybody who dies, you've got to pay a huge tax to the federal government. Not true. We put the death tax on the road to extinction. The death tax is a bad tax. And you're going to say to the next set of around, wave a little flag, going, we're crazy, we're crazy, we're living in democracy. Woo-hoo! Well, that's it. Your job is if you're at the network, to cover the basics. The basics mean that government, the entire federal government with millions of employees is boiled down to White House and the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Give a reporter in each place and they're on every night. That's, that's the extent of your federal government news coverage. It is. It's shocking and it's pathetic. And so you can have an SNL scandal that goes on for years and no one notices because that's an obscure uh, public funk agency called the Federal Home Loan Bank. Well, how many reporters do you think are down there? Hardly any. If a member of Congress uh, gets an appropriation for $58,000 in order to, to uh, put some funding into a house or something or into Bible to make it the front pages, Congressman Jones gets pork, $58,000 for this stupid project. Headline. But when you spend hundreds of billions of dollars, more likely that the hundreds of billions will not be covered. How did journalism get this way? To remove controversy uh, from story selection. So you can't be yelled at for why did you put this in the front page and didn't cover some other story. There becomes a tremendous reliance upon official sources as the basis of legitimate journalism. This was a new thing. You know, in 1875, if the governor said something wacky, a newspaper writer said, I'm not going to cover that. It was stupid. Newspapers, um, they don't invent stories. They go to people, experts in this country, uh, for their opinions on what's coming down or not coming down. It means those people in power, uh, political power especially, but also business power, are sort of the assignment editors of journalism. What they want to talk about becomes news. If they, if they agree that they don't want to debate something, like the 
themselves to introduce that as a story. If the media had been on the job during the 2000 election, for example, if they had reported what was actually going on and reported it with all due emphasis and uh, repetitiousness, kept on the story day after day, I don't mean the occasional piece on paper, I mean appropriate coverage where you follow the scandal. If that had happened, uh, Bush Cheney wouldn't be in the election. He stole the election. The range of inquiry by journalists was strictly determined by what the official sources were saying, in this case, the Gore campaign and the Republican Bush campaign. And journalists basically, their credible journalism volleyed between these two positions. Now, the problem with that was very simple. The two sides were playing by very different rules, very different game plans. On one side, you had the Republicans, and they were committed to winning this election no matter what. Principle be damned. They were taking power, period. That underscored everything they did. So there was no commitment to being principled whatsoever. One day, if you got the right ruling by the state Supreme Court, it's clearly a state issue. The ruling two days later goes against you. The exact same people say it's clearly a federal issue. There was no sense of shame. The point was you wanted power, period. And it was an extraordinary propaganda effort by the right because you couldn't even find a Republican dog catcher in Idaho would disagree. Everyone barked out the exact same line every day. It was uh, Joe Goebbels would have been impressed with the lockstep in which the Republican machine marched in their eagerness to take power and take this election. The problem was for those of us who just think whoever gets the most votes should win and wanted a fair election, the journalism didn't reflect that interest. It was a prisoner of that race today and therefore played directly into the hands of the Republicans. BBC reported that five months before the 2000 election, Jeff Bush moved to purge 57,000 people from the voting rolls, supposedly ex-felons. The great story that was broken by Greg Palos from, uh, from Britain, uh, which has now been confirmed, on the, for the first time, the use of, uh, by Catherine Harris of this private company to come up with a list of felons who wouldn't be permitted to vote, which was a dreadfully bogus list of thousands of people who weren't committed to vote, uh, who should have been. According to Palace, a private firm with Republican ties, database technology, signed a $4 million contract to provide scrub lists of ex-felons. Part of the job was to verify the list, which the firm acknowledged was inaccurate. The state of Florida brought in this Republican firm on the excuse that they have these databases, and when the company said, well, now we want to run the database against this list of 57,000 names, Jacqueline Harris's office went on the, the listing of the database check because, you know, people gave you what they told BBC, gave you the check, double check. How many of these names are wrong? Are unequivocally guilty. Well, I can give you the arithmetic. 
reported story of greedy Enron executives, a story about the influence of money over government regulators. This is what has happened with the media companies. primary owner of the News Corporation. In the United States, he owns the Fox News Network. But Murdoch's media empire is global. Among his many holdings is a satellite TV service in partnership with the Chinese. Just as he gave a huge book deal to Newt Gingrich, Murdoch gave the supreme Chinese leader's daughter a book contract to write a biography of her father. Well, if I'm going to get my book published in your capitalist society, I have to find a capitalist to publish it. Regardless of whether it's one of Mr. Murdoch's companies or not. The nature of what used to be considered a bribe has morphed. Quid pro quo. Direct thing. We have massive problems with what is I call legal corruption all over America where the system has been gained by various powerful interests, and and it's all disclosed, of course. Of course, no one reads it. The media doesn't generally report it. Don't get me started. Uh, and so, so this is a wink and nod exercise with rampant corruption, and the American people kind of actually, in very interesting ways, viscerally understand that things are corrupt. I was a producer at 60 Minutes and uh, worked in network television for 11 years, ABC and I was an investigative reporter for those places, and I quit one day. My story led the show. I quit because the idea of everything being simplified down to good guys and bad guys, like entertainment, getting a little old for me. Uh, I decided that I didn't want anybody telling me what to investigate. <laughs> myself with to investigate, and I was going to take as long as I needed, not two weeks, solve a 20-year-old unsolved murder. Today, you know, we're up to 35 people. Knock on wood, it's been very exciting, but that's how it got here. <laughs> you have this contracting of ambition about what should be covered and what the public has the right to know about price of power in Washington, who really makes money and who really benefits from the decisions. What will pass for investigative reporting is though someone may get a hold of an early report from some committee about to come out or an inspector general's report that's going to castigate the secretary of this or that. And so you'll breathlessly go on the air and, you know, you'll say ABC News has learned or whatever the network is and, you'll, you know, you'll out of breath and it's all exciting you'll report and it'll look like uh, the faceless minions that can 
Prize and Network, hundreds of them out there ferreting information out for you to serve the public. It's bunkum, of course. It's, it's not happening at all. Public would never know from the media that they spent $11 million to keep any free airtime provisions out of any legislation. Successfully, by the way. Edward Fritz, head of the National Association of Broadcasters, called free airtime for candidates unconstitutional and an infringement on the broadcasters' free speech rights. You have reached the stage in the American public, and I'm not kidding you, where the issue is not a debate over ideas. If you have a point of view, I have a point of view, who should that person support as a democracy? The issue is whether ideas at all matter. You look like a nice fellow. Nice wife. Do you have any kids? Two. Hey, why wouldn't I want to vote for you? One of the strange things about it is that politics is now presented in terms of politicians and not politics. I don't think the media are interested in politics. They're interested in politicians, which is a whole different subject. Media corporations don't cover the news when it comes to politics anymore. Uh, the, the political news coverage in 2000 was half what it was in 96. 96 was half what it was in 92. The third leading source of revenue for the media today, broadcast media, happens to be political ads. So if you're a politician, the only way you get heard is with ads. In 1981, uh, the media was getting $80 million from political campaigns for ads. Today, they got their last campaign, they got a billion dollars. That's why you've got to have millions of dollars to run for office as a politician. You're either a millionaire or large sums of money all day, dollars for dollars, and that's who goes into politics. And you are complicit in this system. You're not going to rock the boat. You know, 98% of those who run for Congress, who run against, get elected, get reelected, they have a 98% return rate. In Congress, are you aware of this? You know, I just look up the statistics. The old Soviet Politburo had a 92% return rate. And they actually have more turnover than we have in the U.S. Congress. Is that just the most embarrassing thought? Why do we do this? We've got to change these laws. We grant these monopoly rights to TV stations. They don't pay a penny to the people for getting these monopoly rights to TV frequencies. Then they turn around and sell time on the public property and, and make billions of dollars and destroy our political system. All the while, they, have, they pay off the politicians themselves to keep getting these monopoly rights. The corruption here is dreadful. The public is really at a loss. What do you do about that exactly? I'm not quite sure. I mean, you can, they're probably perfect world, there should be a citizen's movement about this. People should be marching in the streets. I mean, in some ways, we should be as angry about what's happened to our media as the Russians ought to be about what happened to their media. Now, that's what we've seen with heresy inside the network. How dare you? We've covered stories all the time last week. Look at this story. Look at that. They, they would take issue with what I just said. They'd probably call you on American. They would call me on American and a bomb thrower, and I probably won't be on any of their airways anymore. Ten years ago, 50 companies ran the media in America, now it's down to five to seven. Today, tonight, as I came down here, NPR was reporting on this issue that the FCC, under the control of Michael Powell, son of Common Powell, who had asked about whether or not there was a digital divide in the world, said, I'm more worried about the Mercedes divide 
I'd like to have one, but I can't afford it. That's the commissioner of the FCC, who is about to lift all the ownership caps on big media companies in an issue that is not covered in the media. Michael Powell was actually quoted as saying that he has no idea what the public interest is. You oppress it here, it's regulation. He actually said that. Michael Powell uh, and Republicans in the office of the FCC who were on the verge with our campaign of making major changes to the public interest obligations of broadcasters. The Federal Communications Commission had proposed rules that we pushed in this campaign that hundreds of Americans in small communities, in large communities, pushed. We were going to get rules that would make local broadcasters much more accountable to their interests. Uh, those rules were proposed once uh, Bill Kennard was out of office and Michael Powell was in office. Those rules went into a drawer. They were never voted on. Starting with Ronald Reagan, holy grail of deregulation has been sold to the public. News media has largely ignored its disastrous results. Once the Reagan administration was done, there were more rules. But they called it deregulation. It's uh, almost this Orwellian use of language where you create new rules, uh, but the rules change because they benefit industry, and you call it deregulation. And you say deregulation, people feel that's good because people like deregulation. People like fewer rules. They like, you know, depending on simpler, cleaner, you know, old Western rules. But it's a trick. It's not, it's not really what's happening. <laughs> I mean, when I first went into television, I believe the FCC rules were about how many television stations a network would own. I think it was five. And markets. And now, here in New York, we're talking about a duopoly. You have the possible probability, it looks like right now, that the News Corporation will be host, Channel 9, 5, in one New York marketplace. So, yeah, regulations have eased considerably. The whole uh, ball game has changed. And precisely how that affects different people buying and selling different stations in different markets and how it impacts on the news. In my view, there, there are tremendous effects that are almost entirely negative. There's almost nothing positive about it. First of all, it leads to the, these companies are so big, their political power grows exponentially. It's a democratic issue. It means that um, one viewpoint will come to dominate in Many people are not aware that when you watch television uh, while watching a program produced by a large multinational corporation, enormous uh, conflict of interest. General Electric and NBC is a perfect example. How can we be sure we're going to get the kind of information we need to have about the nuclear industry, about um, defense contracts, and all of those things when NBC is beholden to this parent company. Why would they report on that? Of course they wouldn't. Why would ABC report on 
what's going on at Disney. They wouldn't. There's no point in it. Um, and it's precisely for that reason that those companies want to own television stations in the first place, so that they can check on those purchases. General Electric has made it uh, a very proud uh, part of their policy. Uh, they're going to move jobs from the United States of America to China, to Mexico, any place in the world where they can get cheap labor. This suggests, obviously, that General Electric is deeply concerned about our trade policy. Over the years, General Electric has done its best not to pay taxes or to pay as little as they can in taxes, taking advantage of all kinds of corporate welfare tax loopholes. Suggests very strongly that General Electric has interest in tax policy. Pluto. Therefore, they're concerned about weakening environmental policy. It's not obviously just uh, General Electric. It's the same thing. Yes, or uh, conflicts of interest are enormous, and the result is that certain issues are talked about, certain issues are not talked about. Eleven, close to eleven years, we've done more than. The reports and investigations about public servants screwing up, public trust by public officials, almost always get covered. We're the ones that broke the Lincoln bedroom. Done a lot of this kind of thing. Two of those stories, they get covered, and the media jumps. But I have to tell you, when we've investigated corporations, Everybody knows about Enron and, and how uh, the guys at the top manage to cash. 
cash out very handsomely, preventing the pensioners from withdrawing their money in time, prevents complete ruin, financial ruin. Well, I mean, there's a history behind this, you know. George Bush, who is, of course, a good friend of Kenneth Lay, cashed out in exactly the same way, uh, you know, as a major shareholder in Harkin. According to the Center for Public Integrity, George Bush served on the Harkin Energy's board and was able to realize a huge profit of $848,000 by selling its stock in the corporation. Harkin had concealed its losses by selling some of the firm's assets to a group of insiders and sharing a profit. Shortly after he sold, the stock price plummeted. He reported the sale to the SEC 34 weeks late. Bush was on the audit committee and the restructuring committee. I propose some tough new standards uh, on for corporate reform, like you all, I took a look at I took a look at there and saw a problem. You were trying to fudge the numbers. We're going to tell the truth when it came to their assets and liabilities. The Harkin Inside Trading story was reported by the Center for Public Integrity seven months before the presidential election. represents a kind of insider trading. It's obviously epidemic at the top. thousand election campaign. Al Gore was a liar. At the same time, press ignored or glossed over serious questions about George Bush. From repeated allegations that he had gone AWOL by trading. There a connection between Bush's avowed policy to completely deregulate big media. You know, they'll cover whatever they damn well please. It's not going to get in the way of the bottom line. It's not going to cost a lot of money to produce. Generally not going to upset the powers that be of which really grim to watch very depressing. Bush made millions of dollars as governor of Texas, and his father is now making millions of dollars as a worker for Carlisle, making millions of dollars thanks to the policies of his son. His son has all around him in the White House, throughout the government, all kinds of people from Lockheed Martin. And Lockheed Martin's making out like a bandit because of the war on terrorism. This is this this is a scandal of such magnitude, you know, that you'd think that the press would be thanking its lucky stars that it happened on their watch. It was a big story. No, it's too big for them to cover. I know what to do with someone caught misappropriating funds. But when confronted with evidence of a systematic attempt to undermine the political system itself, oil, and a general failure of imagination. Very sick an American diplomat wrote a book called The October Surprise, in which he argues that Reagan team meddled in the situation to make sure that the hostages 
didn't get released. Barry Sick was a member of the Carter administration. He was on the staff of the National Security Council from August 1976 to April 1981. According to Mr. Sick's congressional testimony, quote, in the course of hundreds of interviews in the U.S., Europe, and the Middle East, I have been told repeatedly that individuals associated with the Reagan-Bush campaign of 1980 met secretly with Iranian officials to delay the release of the American hostages until after the presidential election. For this favor, Iran was rewarded with a substantial supply of arms from Israel. Quote. According to Mr. Sick, low-level intelligence operatives and arms dealers are no Boy Scouts. Quote. Their accounts were not identical, but on the central facts, they were remarkably consistent. Because of my past government experience, I knew about certain events that could not possibly be known to most of the sources. Yet their stories confirm these facts. Again, quoting Gary Sick. From October 15th to October 20th, 1980, events came to a head in a series of meetings in Paris. Accounts of these meetings vary. There is, however, widespread agreement on a number of points. One, William Casey, Reagan's campaign manager, was a key participant. Two, Iranian representatives agreed that the hostages would not be released prior to the presidential election on November 4th. Three, in return, Israel would serve as a conduit for arms and spare parts to Iran. Quote, at least five of the sources who said they were in Paris in connection with these meetings insist that George Bush was present for at least one meeting. Three sources say they saw him there. Former President George Bush denied being in Paris. According to Sick, immediately after the Paris meetings, things began to happen. Iran publicly shifted its position in the negotiations with the Carter administration, claiming any further interest in receiving military equipment. Again, according to Sick, between October 21st and October 23rd, Israel sent a plane load of F-4 fighter aircraft tires to Iran in contravention of the U.S. boycott and without informing Washington. Special investigation into this claim, eventually, it was grossly inadequate. It was a real whitewash. A lot of questions were never even entertained, much less. 1991, a congressional committee led by Democratic Congressman Lee Hamilton declared there to be no credible evidence to play in the hostages release. Contemporaneous magazine articles, charges of an October surprise, were discounted. According to Mr. Stick, quote, after listening to the evidence, one of the former hostages I spoke with I don't want to believe it. I ain't what to think of that. Whatever the truth of the October surprise may be, what is undeniable is that the story is a career graveyard for journalists seeking to work in the corporate mainstream. Indeed, what uh, the hostages themselves had to say later in their various reminiscences of the experience, coverage in depth, find that the Iranians were guarding the hostages, had their uh, stopwatches out. I mean, they were, they were waiting for a particular moment to let those hostages run into 
in the executive branch. There's much less coverage. If the Supreme Court had done for Al Gore what it did for George Bush, I give you a 100% guarantee that I would have written the same identical book to betray of America. Five members of the United States Supreme Court committed, in my opinion, and I feel very strongly about this, one of the biggest and most serious crimes in American history, stopped the recount in Florida, took the election away from the American people, and handed it to George Bush. Fair and just world, these five justices belong behind bars as much as any American white-collar criminal who has ever lived. The mainstream media, they don't even want to talk about what the court did anymore. Their position is, and they've made it very, very clear, the election is over with. We've moved on to covering other matters. Now, mind you, and this is not to defend President Clinton, but this is the same group, the mainstream media, who pursued Clinton not just day after day, not just week after week. Year after year, these five justices are ardent federalists, states' rights advocates. They said over and over again, we let state courts interpret state law. December the 8th, Florida Supreme Court ordered a manual recount. The recount started the following morning, a Saturday, December 9th, 8 o'clock. At that point in time, Bush's lead had shrunk over Gore to 154 votes. Clock in the afternoon, Justice Antonin Scalia steps in with a order, supported by the four other justices, said, we've got to stop this recount because if it continues, it could, quote, threaten irreparable harm George Bush, unquote. So even though the election had not yet been decided, the incredible Scalia was presupposing that Bush had won the election and any recount that showed that Gore had won would threaten irreparable harm to George Bush. Now, if that doesn't show that these justices were trying to steal the election for George Bush, what in the world would? We're supposed to believe as Americans that all judges have some sort of saint-like qualities, that they're not political in any way, and that we can't even discuss it. Justice Clarence Thomas's wife works for the Heritage Foundation, a very conservative think tank in Washington, D.C., that assisted Governor Bush in his transition to power. We don't look at their financial holdings. We don't look at the trips they take to conferences sponsored by ideological groups that want them to rule certain. Night of the election, November 7th, Sandra Day O'Connor's at a cocktail party in Washington, D.C. with her lawyer husband, John And Rather comes on the air at 8 o'clock and announces that it looks like Florida's going for Al Gore, whereupon O'Connor blurts out, that's just terrible. Excuse me. The Wall Street Journal found three witnesses at the party to confirm that story. Newsweek found two. Both the Wall Street Journal and Newsweek went to Sandra Day O'Connor for a comment. She declined comment. Lawyers ever nominated to the post. Ties with Bob Scalia and Bush's lawyer, Ted Olson, who argued before the Supreme Court, come together in the Federalist Society, a judicial group with close ties to corporately funded think tanks. Society members like Judge Sintel in turn reject media regulation. Conservative judges have ruled that constraining the reach of media corporations 
violates their free speech rights. If you read the First Amendment, there's no question but that free speech rights are rights that belong to citizens. They're individual rights. They're our rights. In the 70s, we started to get this new idea of uh, commercial free speech. Very, very peculiar notion, commercial free speech. Because what it, what it does is it casts corporations, uh, corporate entities, as, as, as persons, which they're not. I mean, they're not people. They don't, can't find their graves anywhere, unfortunately. The First Amendment has been warped so that we understand it now as a way uh, to uh, essentially allow people who own media uh, license to do whatever they want to do with the media that's property that they buy. First Amendment becomes a barrier to understanding our responsibilities in a democracy. Free speech, when you're talking about the media, is just a uh, fundamentally um, disproportionate right. My speech is equal to and as free as the speech of AOL Time Warner have um, this platform of access to the world that, you know, I mean. Somehow, the freedom to inform the general public has become the exclusive right of media corporations. Giving them uh, free speech rights was, was a perverse move. And in fact, it was the kind of thing that conservatives Rock-ribbed conservatives had ruled out, uh, you know, as recently as the 40s. During the Clinton administration in 1996, behind closed doors, the airways were rewritten. Radio, all regulation was literally thrown out. All independent stations were bought up. Localism disappeared. Companies like Clear Channel went from owning a few stations to owning over 1,100. Dominated whole markets. Something else happened. The Reagan, in 1987, the fairness doctrine was eliminated. Radio and TV stations no longer required to air opposing viewpoints. Partially responsible for the rise of right-wing radio all the time, from coast to coast. Vice Chairman of Clear Channel is Tom Hicks. In 1998, Hicks purchased the Texas Range and Faithful with then made President Bush a multi-millionaire. Clear Channel banned Dixie Chick songs, but the lead singer criticized the president on the run-up to the war. A famous middle-aged rock and roller called me last week to thank me for speaking out against the war, only to go on to tell me that he could not speak himself because he fears repercussions from Clear Channel. They promote our concert appearances, he said. They own most of the stations that play our music. Why didn't we find out more about that bill before it was passed? Well, because who's going to report on it, the media? According to Bill Moyers, during the Senate debate, Senator John McCain said, we'll not see this story on any television, radio broadcast. Altogether, 
three major network news shows, some total, with only 19 minutes of coverage on the telecommunications sector. Her group called the Consumer Federation of America got some money from the long-distance phone companies who were also, for their own different reasons, opposed to the bill. They tried to buy a 30-second spot on CNN saying that this concentration of power in the hands of companies would cause cable TV rates to go through the roof and phone rates to go up. And CNN would not even accept their money. They wouldn't even let a consumer group, a dissenting group, buy, it, buy their way in to the store. Each time a new communications technology has emerged, two companies soon gain total control over it. Happened with the internet. Well, up until now, the internet has been governed by a system requiring open access. Telephone network, uh, on which the dial-up internet is based has been a common carrier, it's been open. So anybody could have a website, anybody could transmit anything, and you could have all kinds of companies competing to provide you with internet service. Open access being replaced now by a system of closed access. Companies like AOL, Time Warner, Comcast, and Paul Allen's Charter, they're opposed to any kind of open access rules. They say, we want to control Internet delivery. I'll tell you something that I remember in the late 70s, that there were all these people who were like cable televisionist anathea. It reminds me a little bit of, oh, the web will solve every problem. We'll have a level playing field where your new website will be able to compete with Disney and Murdoch and Viacom's new website. No. Michael Powell has ruled that the cable companies are not subject to the open access rules. Freedom of the Internet is in doubt. You know, one of the myths of our society, you've probably heard this one, is it's based in competition. You hear that? That's, see, that's, that's, that's the sort of problem they feed us in the bottom fish. The truth of the matter is the top of the system, the key to the system, is crushing competition. So what we've seen in media, in all the sectors, you've had fewer and fewer companies. The largest companies buy the small companies. They try to get bigger and bigger and make it harder for new companies to enter. Because once you have just a handful of companies dominating an industry, the ability for someone to enter the industry as a newcomer is almost impossible. I think there are lots of ways that you make news profitable, and it doesn't mean... If you ask the reporter, are you interested in truth, of course they'll all say yes. You go to journalism conferences, which I do quite a bit of, everyone is looking for the truth. The problem is the gatekeepers of truth are not the reporters, they're the owners. Like the editors who work for the owners, They'll decide what flies and what works and what pays the freight. Watching those numbers.
thing that that you know that we base our you know our coverage in, is it a good day or is it a bad day? It's the numbers. I mean, I wish you know, I wish we didn't have to rely on that so much. I wish you you know there was some way that you know you could base you know your job or or a performance on something other than the numbers. Unfortunately. That's not the, the climate right now. You look at, at news directors who get hired. I mean, they, those are the ones that, that are really on the chopping block. They, I, I think their jobs are less secure than major league baseball managers. That's not news. That's marketing. That, I mean, that's something else. I, I never heard of doing news based on the news. <laughs> Call me crazy, but that's what you do. You investigate something because it needs to be investigated. If someone's clearly lying or there's some issue of the public trust that needs to be looked into. You don't do it because you think some demographic will particularly enjoy that that's nutty. It's the underlying theme of all the great laments we see, of all the journalists we talk to now, we're so appalled that the public service they entered has become a purely commercial activity. A pundit is defined as a learned person. According to James Fallows in his book Breaking the News, Hundreds of celebrities telling us what to think of events. Howard Kurtz, the media reporter for CNN, said, quote, The culture of news has merged with the relentlessly glitzy world of entertainment, producing one great roaring ooze of headlines and hype. Margaret Carlson of Time Magazine said producers want people who can sound learned without confusing the matter with too much knowledge. I'm perfect. Jeff Greenfield of CNN said, we're booked as entertainers. You know what we're being paid for. We are being paid to fill seats. FaceTime on television translates into big-time lecture fees. According to Brian Lamb of C-SPAN, the message from Washington in the last 20 years is that everyone does everything for money. George Will said, if you pick your audiences carefully, you can give the same speech every time. Rockham said, it's important to go on the road where you'll get to hear the whole range of views from the trade association. These speaking engagements are usually given to business and trade associations, paid for by corporations. The whole essence now, almost, of uh, selling some sort of regressive policy, like getting rid of Social Security or environmental regulations, is to dress it up in some name to suggest just the opposite. So if you're going to try to get rid of environmental regulations, you call your group Save the Environment. Um, you know, that's the name of the group that's trying to get rid of the regulations. When Reagan vetoed the Fairness Doctrine, he said it was inconsistent with the tradition of independent journalism. By everyone, by politicians, but also by news anchors. We live in an era now where uh, media has become so used to accepting the spin and accepting the structure that they are given, that they don't cover news anymore. Lies pose as truth. Winston had a friend at the Ministry of Truth named Sign. Sure that they could. His job was to eliminate words. The aim was to narrow the range of thought by eliminating words that make real thought possible. It would only be good and evil. Everything that Big Brother represented was good.
that 175,000 votes were not counted in the state of Florida. So it's not like everybody's votes counted or was not counted the same. The number of votes not counted was in direct proportion, county to county, to the black population of the county. So how would it be that, for example, in Gadsden County, 52% of the population is black and one out of eight votes was not counted? One out of eight. Whereas in white counties like Citrus, all, all white, only one in 200 ballots was voided. How does this happen? I go down to Florida. I go to Lee Hunt County. We're all looking at Chad. You know, the guys look at the hanging Chad's on. They, they make it sound like there's a big, mysterious deal checking the ballots in Florida. Most, a big hunk of Florida votes by paper ballot, which is rented by machine. You know, there's like the F-18, these numbers, these numbers, So they had a practice voting machine set up in a supervisor's office in Tallahassee. And so I voted, took out my pretend ballot, and I voted for Nader, and I voted for Buchanan. And I stuck the Buchanan Nader ballot into the voting machine. Came back to me. Last several years, politics have merged in a new way. 
Murdoch is a brilliant man who, what he has done and has had a tremendous influence in the worst possible way, culture and on media uh, in the United States and throughout the world. And what he does, he does it in England and he does it in the United States. His shtick is appealing to working class people and taking them to the right. And he does this through violence. He does this through super patriotism. He does this through sensationalism. So what you have now, and I'll give him credit for this, Fox Television is the first major network that has no pretense. I mean, CBS and NBC, they have a pretense to objectivity. Murdoch's Fox News Network, run by Roger Ailes. Ailes was the executive producer of TV for Richard Nixon. Consultant to Ronald Reagan and George Bush III. Tony Snow, host, was the Bush speechwriter. The anchor, Chris Hume, contributed articles to the ultra conservative American Spectator. The phrase fair and balanced was repeated incessantly like a mantra. Herbal said, still lie often enough. People will believe it. All of their uh, talk shows are controlled by extreme right-wing Republicans. That it is a front for the right-wing of the Republican Party. John Ellis, the head of Fox's election gap, Jeb and George W. Bush's first cousin. And it's notable that on election night, the first network to declare that George W. Bush had won the presidency of the United States, Fox. And it was John Ellis who made the calculation and the determination that they had call. But it's not only Fox. At GE, the wall between journalism and politics was also broken. According to the Reuters News Service, former General Electric Chairman Jack Welch came into the NBC studio, insisted that the race be called for fellow Republican George Bush. All the while, an NBC in-house taping system was recording Welch in the studio that night. NBC refused to turn over the tape despite repeated requests from Congressman Henry Waxman. President Andrew Lack claimed turning over the tape would infringe on the editorial process. Waxman replied, Mr. Welch is not a journalist. We now know the studies show pretty clearly they, as they understood, they lost the vote. If there had been a fair vote, they would have been out of power. Calling the election for George Bush that night set the tone for any recount scenarios. And the whole tenor of the coverage followed that. You watch Chris Matthews, O'Reilly, Brian Lynch. When is Gore going to finally give up? Another desperation measure by Gore. The assumption being Bush had won. Gore is just scra scrambling, trying to sneak his way into some loophole. The irony is that as the corporate news media has moved to the right, charges of a liberal bias have become pervasive. Expression was created because the Republicans had an arsenal of on-air pundits adept at polarizing opinion, ridiculing anyone who disagrees. They can rely on Murdoch-owned media assets. Some stories disappear. Others are repeated endlessly. Murdoch, in turn, gets his deregulation. Conservative pundit Bill Salmon has written a book about Al Gore's attempt to steal the election. I find out that the party launching his book will be full of lobbyists and pundits decide to go videotape them.
funny thing is, behind-the-scenes operators don't like to be taped. As the right got more and more of a toehold in, in efforts to that myth became increasingly was cow moderate, much less liberal. Now anyone who wasn't a right wing working in the media by constantly assailing them with accusations of liberal or by assailing them about a lack of patriotism. I'm Janine Jackson from FAIR, the Media Watch Group. Um, I thought you might like to know that the Heritage Foundation has announced that Jesus would support a war on Iraq. The argument is no longer made that news media are hard on Republicans and easy on Teddy Kennedy and Ralph Nader. That's not the argument. That argument is so ludicrous that it doesn't even pass the giggle test. The argument now simply redefines left-right entirely in ways that drop out core issues of class, core issues of corporate power. The media does not discuss the growing, uh, you know, inequity between the rich and the poor. I could go on and on and on. There is no evidence whatsoever to claim that there's a liberal bias in the media. It's based entirely on a stereotypic view of the reporters themselves, many of whom may be liberal. Probably they're centrists by now. The fact is that their own personal views do with what gets on TV. Winston Smith worked at the Ministry of Truth. His job was to alter past news stories so that the version of the truth given by the ruling elite was never contradicted. The most troubling thing about the media's handling of the 2000 election, or later, a consortium of major news organizations hired the respected National Opinion Research Council, called NORC, to inspect the 170,000 uncounted votes. NORC was not allowed to characterize its findings. The disturbing thing is that they did the truth by distorting the Florida Supreme Court's actual ruling for the counting of all votes where the intent of the voter was clear. According to the BBC's Greg Pallet, who watched the North counting operation firsthand, one counter said, quote, screamed at you. Someone circled Gore. Exactly who do you think they wanted as president? The did not comment on the exclusion of tens of thousands of clearly marked ballots, which the North data reveals. Instead, the consortium came up with a tortured analysis that showed Bush would have retained the lead in one method of counting, just the underworld. December 24, 2000. Moderator Tim Russert said the following. Florida, Florida, Florida is over. The board is now retired. That was pretty much the end of the mainstream news media's coverage of the Florida recount. Court's decision to stop the counting of votes. Yeah, Nicaragua had an election like this. The Sandinistas won. 
the very people that won the Republican election would have insisted that we not only invade Nicaragua, but that all the people who engineered the election be held for war crimes. Know that they're not there serving at the will of the American people. Know that they stole this election and they created this fraud by keeping African Americans away from the polls. They know this. They know they have very little time to enact their agenda. sunlight of democracy, dark, ominous shadows of totalitarianism, despotism, fascism. Curious footnote, over the next two years, voter news service called Florida for Al Gore, stamped the 2002 midterm election. Suddenly, Exit polls have become unreliable. Then, on election night, 2002, they weren't used. There were vague statements by the mainstream news media. As it turns out, the main networks own the voter news service. The guess is that the voter news service got it right on election night when they called Florida for Al Gore. According to congressional testimony, at that time, the voter news service projected Gore winning Florida by 7.3 percent, the equivalent of more than 300,000 votes. The voter news service was the smoking gun. It had to disappear. Welcome to computer voting, the newest twist in our voting process. paper trail. Checkable. Thank you. 
my brothers and sisters have kind of collateral damage. And some fanatics, I think that is no more or less important than the collateral damage of some kind of reactor. Luckily, the commonality we have in So for those people who are making decisions about sweet having this very dangerous error, if they have an open invitation, they can come to my house over the holiday. My brother's birthday is right before Christmas. They can see what he's like to be around a family who's affected by war and terror. Commissioner Cobb, 
Good morning. I strongly dissent to this decision because today the Federal Communications Commission empowers America's new media elite with unacceptable levels of influence over the ideas and information upon which our society and our democracy depend. An issue is whether a few corporations will be ceded enhanced gatekeeper control over the civil dialogue of our country, more content control over our music, entertainment, and information, and veto power over what the majority of our families watch, read, and hear. Radio deregulation gives us powerful and relevant lessons. When Congress and the Commission remove radio concentration protections, we experience massive and largely unforeseen consequences. Diversity of programs suffer. Homogenized music and standardized programming crowded out local and regional talent. Creative local artists found it ever more difficult to obtain playtime. Editorial opinion polarized. Competition in many towns became non-existent as a few companies brought up virtually every station in the market. This experience ought to terrify us as we consider visiting upon television and newspapers what we have inflicted upon radio. Concerns about the degradation of broadcast content do not justify government manipulation of consumer choice. Degradation is just an elitist way of saying programming that one does not like. The decision allows the giant media companies to buy up the remaining local newspaper and exert massive influence over a community by wielding three TV stations, eight radio stations, the cable operator, plus the already monopolistic newspaper. The decision further allows the already massive television networks to buy up even more local TV stations so that they could control up to an unbelievable 80 or 90 percent of the national television audience. Where are the blessings of localism, diversity, and competition? I see centralization, not localism. I see uniformity, not diversity. I see monopoly and oligopoly, not competition. It would be anathema to the First Amendment to regulate media ownership in an effort to steer consumers towards other programming. Ninety percent of the top cable channels are owned by the same giants that own the TV networks and the cable systems. More channels are great, but when they're all owned by the same people, Cable doesn't advance localism, editorial diversity, and competition. And those who believe the Internet alone will save us from this fate should realize that the dominating Internet news sources are controlled by the same media giants who control radio, TV, newspapers, and cable. I refuse to pour one ounce of cement to support a structure that dictates to the American people what they should watch, listen to, or think. Public reaction against the proposed changes has been unlike anything the FCC has ever seen. Of the nearly three-quarters of a million comments we have received, nearly all oppose increased media consolidation, over 99.9%. Those commissioners voting in favor of the item signify by saying aye. 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 Those, those opposed signify. The item is adopted. Thank you. This meeting is adjourned. Organizations to oppose all or part of the FCC's media ownership rules 
is one of the strangest lists of strange Doug fellows you'll ever hear. Opponents include Walter Cronkite, William Sapphire, and Rifle Association, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, National Organization for Women, Senator Jesse Helms. Theoretically, deregulation is good, but it's not always the right way to go. Shadow of the largest corporate scandals in the history of this country. The last thing we need is, is to have regulators with no teeth. I believe it appears to me so evident that the big interests were served here, at least public interest. Would you not agree with me that today those who most aggressively celebrate your decision are the biggest economic interests in broadcasting in this country? Are they not the ones that are celebrating your decision? I have no idea who's celebrating that. You really don't? Are you kidding me? You said they're modest changes. Clearly they're not modest changes. When in nearly 200 cities, newspapers will be able to buy the television station, you say that uh, it'll promote more competition. Nonsense. The evidence suggests that it's simply not the case. You say that there'll be few mergers and acquisitions. Of course, that stands logic on its head. And you say the court made us do it. The court didn't make you do it. This is the old joke in the movie, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? Abernathy, you said that uh, we were acting out of irrational fear and set apart facts with respect to the issue of consolidation. Is there any evidence that you see with respect to consolidation, particularly with respect to radio in television, that would suggest we have an irrational fear of consolidation? What you have to balance here is you have to balance First Amendment rights to the licensees against public to have diversity located. Founders did not anticipate uh, inspections for commercial speech that we now have, and nor did they anticipate essentially the warp to uh, the sense of the First Amendment that has occurred really since the 1970s. If we visit the term, what did they mean? What were they talking about? They can't possibly have meant that there should be free speech rights for transnational corporations because there weren't any back in the 18th century. They exist. They weren't thinking of that. They were thinking of the citizens of the democracy. Citizens have First Amendment rights, diversity of antagonistic views. The reform is something that is absolutely crucial. It is the primary issue. It is the most important thing. Nothing is more important because if we don't have a media system that we can use, whatever our word may be, not a viable democratic media system for getting that word out, get it. You know, we're screwed. We're completely screwed. That's a complicated thing, and it will require that we rethink the very basis of antitrust law, which at the moment is all economistic the reasons why we particularly need to look at antitrust in the realm of media and business. Not for business reasons, not for economic reasons, primarily, but because the content, the crucial content of the news is, is supported by uh, um, large commercial interests.
Some reporters have compared George W. Bush to Ronald Reagan. I reflected back on the post-interview from 1980 about the hostages. How often do major news stories bury down the public memory hole while the lies turn to the truth? There's a window of opportunity now. Most governments, most not figured out, and powerful companies have not figured out lock information that off of the internet in this brief window that we had before they all figured out. Will history repeat itself? Will the public find out about the threat to the Internet? We're not in the clear here at all. I mean, this is not a straight shot here where we can just go ahead and do whatever we want. It's, it's complicated, but, but it's new, and there's some things we don't know about it and no one else knows about it. And as long as there's a, the slightest bit of vagueness or an element is, is something I'm going to exploit much as possible. Oh, <laughs> 
This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The famous speech of Patrick Henry to the Virginia House of Burgesses, given on March 23, 1775, and entitled, Give me liberty or give me death. No man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism as well as abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the house. But different men often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if, entertaining as I do, opinions of a character very opposite to theirs, I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question before the House is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery, and in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason toward my country and of an act of disloyalty towards the majesty of heaven, which I revere above all earthly kings. Mr. President, it is natural to man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, and having ears, hear not? the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last ten years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves and the House. 
is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comports with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array? if its purpose be not to force us to submission. Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose to them? Shall we try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last ten years. Have we anything new to offer upon this subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has all been in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not already been exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned. We have remonstrated. We have supplicated. We have prostrated ourselves before the throne and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded. And we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain after these things may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free... If we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have so long been contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have so long been engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat it, sir. We must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs 
and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have us bound hand and foot. Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. And let it come. I repeat it, sir. Let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God! I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death! Made in the USA. What does it really cost? Well, if the U.S. federal government applied its own truth and labeling laws to the price of goods and services produced in this country, we'd quickly see 30% of the retail price goes to federal taxes. Another 10% is what it cost American businesses to comply with federal regulations. For some businesses, it's even more. Add it up. About 40% of every dollar you spend is directly attributed to federal corporation taxes and or federal income taxes. And this doesn't include the approximate 8% for state taxes and up to an additional 10% for excise taxes. Take a $30,000 car. Subtract the federal taxes and regulatory costs, and that same car would cost you $18,000. A $75 sweater. Eliminate the federal taxes and regulatory costs, and the sweater would cost $45. A $60 bag of groceries, $36. A $79 pair of shoes, $47.40. A dollar value meal double cheeseburger. 60 cents. Seem more affordable? 
Now take a $400,000 new home. Eliminate the federal government's share. If that same home would cost you $240,000. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money in your pocket. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to take a vacation. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to pay off loans. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to save for retirement. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to buy that lake home. And that's on the things you buy. Now let's look at what they take from your paycheck. Eliminate the federal income taxes, Social Security, and Medicare deductions. And a $52,000 wage earner's net pay would jump from $1,500 to $1,986.50. Add it up. Nearly 25% of what you earn goes directly to the federal government. And 40% of what you spend goes directly to the federal government. That's 65% in hidden costs. What do you get in return? Let's take Social Security. Depending on your income, you may pay into the system three to $500 per month. At retirement, the maximum payout is $2,053 per month. And even that is taxed if you have additional income. But what would happen if a married couple saved $300 a month each over 35 years at 7% compounded interest? You would have over $1 million. The nearly $75,000 annual interest of income alone far exceeds the Social Security maximum annual payout. And you still have your million-dollar nest egg to provide for yourself and pass down to your children, your grandchildren, or even pay for your children's education. Ready to take your money back? Reduce the tax burden on America, and all of a sudden, there's more money circulating in the economy. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, our products and services are more competitively priced at home and abroad. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, it's profitable again to manufacture products in the United States. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, American companies are hiring highly skilled, highly paid workers to meet their manufacturing demand. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, America would be the stable economic leader of the free world again. Seem far-fetched? It's not. Could the government operate without federal income taxes? Yes. Prior to 1913, there was no federal income tax. Don't we need the federal agencies that federal taxes support? No. Agencies supported by federal taxes, such as the FDA, ATF, and the IRS, are regulatory agencies. Not only are these federal agencies unconstitutional, they are illegal. 
the free market would regulate itself better with greater efficiency. Americans would be richer and freer. And the cost of these agencies have grown out of control. The Bureau of Economic Analysis Statistics for 2005 reported the average salary for the 1.8 million federal civilian workers is $106,579. The average salary in the U.S. private sector is $53,289, less than half. Wouldn't charitable organizations suffer? No. Currently, 75% of American families give to charity. With more money in their pockets, Americans would be even more generous with their donations. So, what would we give up? Nothing. Since federal income taxes support only 42% of the total federal budget, the government would still operate effectively with the remaining 58% of the budget. And federal workers would be absorbed into the burgeoning economy by the private sector. To put it in perspective, reducing the $2.8 trillion 2007 federal budget by 42%, would still leave 1.6 trillion, the same amount as the total federal budget for 1997. There would be no need for a national sales tax that only replaces one tax for another, and it will not reduce government spending. But these numbers pale by comparison if you consider the national debt. As of January 2008, our country's public debt is over $9 trillion. The estimated population of the United States is 304 million. That means each citizen's share of the debt is $30,241, and that's over and beyond what you pay in taxes. Regardless of which political party is in control, there's no incentive for politicians to reduce spending. The only way to end this spending spree is to take away the government's checkbook and credit card and let them know the joyride is over. have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. My co-host, Alfred Addis, will be joining James Corbett of the Corbett Report. Yes, today is Thursday. As it happens every Thursday, they will join you for the second and third segment of the program for January 22nd, 2015. And, oh, the world is all a glory. The world market's got their fix today by the European Central Bank. And, of course, the big news was the announcement by Mario Draghi and their 60 billion euro quantitative easing uh, structured very much in the same manner of Ben Bernanke's bond purchasing program. I'm sure that's where they got all the details on how to do it and uh, do it without uh, you know, having any negative downside, all positive upsides. And uh, the announcement to me, you know, there was a lot of fanfare that's been attached uh, to this announcement. I mean, he said, what, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, he would do anything that was needed in order to please the markets. They already had a small stimulus program in effect. And obviously it did little for the countries uh, of the European Union as they had to go and relaunch um, or launch this bigger and better stimulus program. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, let's see what it did to the market today. It was interesting because you would have thought that right after the announcement today the markets would have skyrocketed, but they didn't. Um, the U.S. markets came off their futures high, and uh, uh, we saw gold fluctuate. We hit a low of gold 1279, um, but then everything reversed incredible day in the index that the dollar today i mean it just doesn't get it's amazing let's just do the numbers gold today up currently 1030 on new york spot price at 1304 silver's up 23 cents today at 1844 platinum was up 11 dollars 
at 1284, palladium up 8 at 778. So the precious metals did just fine today. The index up 1.51. Tell me, (laughs) I mean, when was the, I don't think, I'm sure that's probably a record increase on the day. 9424, 94.24. And uh, I didn't realize it had gone up as much as it did. Again, it was probably in the last hour of trading where it was really pushed up above the uh, 94. It was mainly in the 93, high 93s uh, for most of the day. Same way with crude oil. Crude oil was down 1.14 at 46.64. Paper markets, as I mentioned, when they first made the announcement this morning, they went down, uh, came off uh, the, the futures, con- the futures uh, uh, went down, opened up. They really took off uh, late in the day, up 263. At 47.50, the S&P was up 31. At 2,063, and the 10-year yield, of course, that was up 1.90%, up 0.04. 1.90% on the yield, up 0.04. So it was an interesting day after they took the ultimate policy leap today and introduced the government bond-buying program. They'll pump hundreds of billions of dollars of new money into the eurozone economy, um, hoping for some inflation. Uh, they're going to be purchasing sovereign debt from beginning March until the end of September 2016. 2016, and uh, the only one that opposed, or the biggest cu- country that opposed this decision, of course, was uh, Germany's Bundesbank. But uh, uh, maybe they really can make it on their own. Maybe they can. Maybe they do need Europe. But uh, um, um, we'll just have to uh, see what the the elections turn out to be. Um, Together with existing schemes to buy the private debt and funnel hundreds of billions of euros and cheap loans to banks, the new quantitative easing program, they will release 60 billion euros, which is about 68 billion in U.S. dollars, a month into the economy. By September of next year, more than 1 trillion euros will have been created under quantitative easing, and the ECB's last remaining major policy option for reviving their economic growth and trying to ward off deflation. The flood of money in press markets, of course, the euro, the euro dropped uh, down to uh, 1.14, uh, 1.14 on the announcement, but the European shares, they hit seven-year highs. Uh, the ECB and the central banks of the Eurozone countries will buy up the bonds of proportion to their capital key, meaning more debt will be scooped up 
from the biggest economies like Germany than from the smaller member states uh, like Ireland. But the big question is, will the stimulus work? And um, everyone is, to me, I think the most significant statement made by Draghi was that only 20% of these purchases would be the responsibility of the European Central Bank. This means the bulk of any potential losses should a Eurozone government default on its debt would fall on national central banks, which again falls on the citizens. So the ECB has only taken 20% of responsibility in this huge um, spending announcement, quantitative easing of over a trillion dollars in a little over a year. So by September uh, 2016, they will certainly, I think it was 1.4 trillion in U.S. dollars. Um, so again, it falls on the central banks of the country and uh, again on the people's shoulders. They get to bail in. How about that? They should all be very happy of that. And so the critics say, and because of that, it might look like maybe this is the path that could signal that maybe the ECB, the European Central Bank, is preparing for a breakup of the euro. This comes from a uh, former ECB policymaker. He says it does not promote a single monetary policy. He says it's counterproductive to shift the risks of monetary policy to the national central banks. He says uh, this path towards balkanization of monetary policy would signal that the ECB is preparing for a breakup of the euro. So maybe that is coming in their future. Uh, you see that euro continue dropping. I'm sure anything that can happen, Draghi said the ECB's governing council uh, they had been unanimous in agreeing that the step to print money was legally sound. And, of course, all governments say it is legal. <laughs> Just print money. It's all legally sound. Of course it is. We're only taking 20% of the responsibility. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about that. And um, so um, to me, that those are some pretty significant things that you don't hear very many people talking about only to the immediate response of the increase in the markets and, of course, uh, the drop in the euro. Um, you have to remember that Greece and Cyprus, they remain under the bailout, and uh, they will be eligible for the, the program but subject to stricter conditions. And, of course, we can't forget, as I mentioned before, that uh, um, they do have an election this weekend, the 25th, and uh, – if you have that anti-bailout opposition party, Syriza, if that stays on track to emerge as the biggest party in parliament, it should prove to make things interesting once again in the European Union. So I don't personally follow writers who use charts or indicators um, to, to see what the price of gold might be and how soon it's going to go up or how soon it's going to buy, if it's time to trade or not to trade. I look to the true fundamentals of gold, what it is, the insurance policy, um, the protection of your purchasing power. Uh, it's a currency. I don't look to charge charts. But this one kind of caught my eye. 
even though there were some gaps in the trend, it was pretty impressive. And this was, um, um, and again, in relationship to the uh, central bank, Europe's uh, European Central Bank, and the and their uh, purchase of sovereign bonds. Um, the, the total amount, I guess, your uh, uh, the QE bond buying program will be 1.14 trillion. That's 1.31 trillion in U.S. dollars, and altogether, the ECB's balance sheet will expand by a total of 52.8 percent to 3.3 euro trillion or trillion euros. The ECB's balance sheet will surpass its previous record high that was reached in June of 2012 of 3.1 euro trillion. For the last nine years straight, gold has followed the ECB's balance sheet extremely closely. In early 2006, when the ECB's balance sheet was only worth 1.08 trillion, gold was just $613 per ounce. But as the ECB expanded its balance sheet by 187% to a peak monthly average of 3.1 trillion, gold's prices also soared by 187% to a peak monthly average of 17 hundred dollars per ounce. Both the ECB's balance sheet and gold began their pullbacks at exactly the same time, dipped the same percentage from their highs, bottomed together, and are now rapidly rising together. And uh, this was published by the NIA. Um, they have various charts and so forth. And now this chart following the ECB's balance sheet and gold they will rise between now and, of course, the end of their program, September of 2016. And they forecast that by the time the ECB's initial bond-buying program is over, gold will be at a new all-time nominal high of over $2,000. So when you look at the chart, and I can't show you the chart, um, it would be a great one to put in our newsletter this weekend if you'd like to go to our website and sign up for the newsletter, we can put that in there. Um, it, it is really interesting to see how the, there was times when they kind of dipped a little bit uh, where they broke away from the trend. Um, but it was really interesting to see how straight on it was. So another sign, if you believe in charts, if you want to follow those trends, uh, it's a very interesting one to see. Uh, there were some numbers that came out with American Express. Uh, they plan to cut more than 4,000 jobs over the next year. The CEO, Ken Chenal, said in a release that tight controls on the cost side of the ledger had benefited the company, and the company posted fourth quarter earnings per share of $1.39 compared to $1.21 a share in the year earlier period. So let's just get rid of those people. Let's do 4,000 and we could become even bigger one percenters of the world. And uh, there was um, um, a report out. Uh, it, it, the overall report to me didn't seem that it was really that big, but it shows a trend. Now, this trend begins after the crisis, 
the global economic crisis 2007-2008, there were 11 million people that were expected to lose their jobs in the current decade. Over 212 million people around the world will be jobless by 2019, and this is according to the International Labor Organization, ILO. By 2019, more than 212 people will be out of work, and that is up from the current 201. In the coming years, global unemployment is expected by the ILO to continue its upward trend. Global unemployment is expected to increase by 3 million in 2015. 3 million doesn't seem like a lot when you look at the overall population of the world, Um, but yet the trend is more and more unemployment, higher and higher unemployment. Therefore, it shows that all the stimulus in the world is not going to change things. It's going to make our stock markets higher going to make the people feel better, and they'll go out and they'll spend some money. And uh, that is what they're trying to do. They're conditioning the people. People, It's a psychological move, and, uh, you know, it does get things churning. And, you know, we've seen in certain areas where the U.S., uh, uh, certainly the oil industry, has made a big impact on the number of jobs in this country and on the bottom line of this country. Um, This... um, Organization, the ILO, said more than 61 million jobs had been lost since the start of the global crisis, and their projections show that unemployment will continue to rise until the end of the decade. Uh, This means the job crisis is far from over, um, so there is no place for complacency. And uh, they also warned of a widening inequality gap, observing that the richest 10% currently earn almost 40% of the total global income while the poorest 10% receive between 2 and 7%. Whether the numbers are big or not on the scale of things, as I mentioned before, again, we're looking. It doesn't seem like the world will get better, except for those in the 1%. You know, the, the rich just keep getting richer. And when I was going to talk a little bit about oil, uh, there was some big job losses or, or job cuts that were announced uh, earlier this week. And uh, there was some info coming out from from BP. They're planning on low oil prices for years to come. And uh, we'll talk about oil tomorrow. I wanted to get to the few specials that we have. We have a small package special today, 90% quarters and dimes, $25 face value. And uh, that price, it's a steal, a limited supply, $370. That includes your shipping. quarters in dimes, $25 face value. Folks, I was giving this special when silver was $17. We were able to get it at a low price. I'm still extending that low price to you. Uh, That is why it's in a limited supply. So give us a call. We also continue the Mint State 61 $20 Liberties or State certified by NGC or PCGS, $1,445. That's like $70, $80 above a gold eagle coin. And we also have a one-ounce gold buffalo coin. It's only $9 more than a gold eagle. And that is also certified Min State 69. That's a terrific price for gold buffaloes. Give us a call, 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188.
And we're heading to break here, and stay tuned for Alfred and James Corbett. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional-strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663 or thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Um, he's also editorial writer of the International Forecaster, weekly electronic newsletter created by the recently deceased economic analyst Bob Chapman. And uh, so we're talking to James. He's in Japan um, in the morning time, and we're here. Uh, we're here in Dallas at. I don't know, am I here earlier than you, or am I here later than you right now, James? I think, Hello, technically, James. That would, I think technically that would be earlier All right. than me. We're here earlier. It'll be, we'll catch up with James, and I don't know, we'll catch up with James in several hours. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today? Just fine. Just fine. Let's start with, let's, we'll, we'll start with the problem with jumped up at, People from the uh, the Swiss uh, removal of the peg uh, for the Swiss franc relative to the euro. A lot of people were surprised, not so much that it simply happened, but some people reacted as if the consequences were much greater than anyone, perhaps even the Swiss National Bank had anticipated. Do you think it was more bang than I expected for their buck, or much ado about nothing? No, it's definitely ado about something. And yeah. I'm not sure what their expectation was particularly, but I think this was a move that was more of necessity than it was of choice. I don't think there was a great deal of choice here. I think everyone realized that this artificial Swiss franc floor that they had in place um, had to go at some point, and it was just a question of when. I just don't think anyone in the world was expecting it to happen last week. And for those who don't know the details of this, basically the Swiss, Swiss National Bank back in 2011 decided to create a floor for the franc versus the euro so that uh, the franc would not go under 1.2 uh, francs to the euro. That, that was the exchange rate that they decided would be the floor, and they would uh, make sure that the euro would not uh, – that the franc would not uh, appreciate against that. However, uh, that's been an extremely, extremely expensive policy to maintain as the euro continues to be deflated and devalued and uh, inflated away into nothing. And, and that means that... And as a result, the Swiss franc was also subject to deflation. Well, the, the, if it the, moved the, with it, I assume that's what's happening. Is that is that true? Well, yes, more or less. So every time it was coming up against that 1.2, the Swiss National Bank would have to buy euros and or sell francs in order to uh, to try to devalue the currency in line with the euro. But of course, constantly buying euros uh, is uh, an expensive <laughs> operation in a number of ways. And is it anything like constantly buying dollars? <laughs> It, it really is. So basically, Switzerland was in some way subsidizing the money printing from the, Euro, the Eurozone, and that's about to be exacerbated greatly by what is expected to be. I'm not sure when this interview is going to air, but on Thursday morning yeah. Europe time yeah. – uh, sorry, Thursday afternoon Thursday Europe afternoon. time. Thursday afternoon, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Thursday afternoon Europe time, Draghi is going to announce that, uh, that there uh, – well, everyone is expecting he will announce there's going to be a new European stimulus program. They're expecting somewhere in the range of 600 to 700 billion euro program. And there's, I mean, there's so many different things that are going to fall out from that. So that's the reason I think the Swiss National Bank decided to, to decouple the, 
cryptocurrencies right now, it's because they didn't want to basically subsidize that money printing in Europe by having to buy euros in order to devalue their currency against the euro. So they've just let it float. And of course, just letting the, the controls go like that with no, pos no forewarning of any sort has had huge effects throughout the global economy. Uh, it had some, some effects on the stock markets, but perhaps more importantly, on foreign currency brokers. Uh, it has, uh, there's quite a few that have gone belly up uh, yep. around the world, in, in, in New Zealand, uh, in the UK, other places. There's a, a major US uh, foreign currency broker who is in serious trouble right now because of this. So it's had some huge effects on the markets. And the markets are still processing what this all means in light of what Draghi will or will not announce with regards to European stimulus. So, so some pretty big moves are taking place, and they're all kind of interlinked and interrelated. And in fact, the latest one, uh, just, just a, few, a few hours before we started recording here, apparently the Bank of Canada has slashed its prime lending rate down to 0.75 from 1. That's another uh, surprise move by a central bank. No one was expecting the Bank of Canada to do that. And the message is, uh, you know, people out there, please borrow more money. Please, let's not, let's not uh, slip into deflation. But, of course, the actual message, if you're reading between the lines, is exactly the opposite. The Canadian economy is going into the doldrums, and uh, this is a good time to pay down your debts if you know uh, which side your bread is buttered on. We have, I, I'm looking at a report from 24-Hour Gold, and one of the points in there, in the aftermath, of the Swiss National Bank decoupling from the euro. It says, why didn't you tell us you were going to end the peg, Leeds International Monetary Fund's chief, Christine Lagarde? Now, whether or not she really didn't know is not known to me. I think she didn't know they were going to do it, though. And if the Swiss National Bank is acting unilaterally without other central banks, other banks and central banks realizing what's happening, it indicates that the thieves may be falling out. And what, you, what we're seeing here is evidence that banks are no longer acting in concert. It's turning into every man for himself. And we see more evidence of that in Canada, right, where the Canadians from what you were just saying, the Canadians have said, hey, we're, we're going to change things and do what's best for Canada, and we're not even giving anyone any notice. We're just going to make this happen. What are the implications of this? Are they going to be able to maintain, hold everybody marching to the beat of the same drummer, or is this the beginning of every man for himself and some sort of disintegration? Well, I think you've touched on the most interesting aspect of this whole story because I, uh, like you, I don't know whether or not uh, whether Lagarde or anyone else knew in, in advance. Um, I'm willing to believe that they did not. But the fact that they, that the the story that has developed from this Swiss National Bank maneuver is, you know, we didn't know this was a surprise. It caught the markets off guard, and because of that, everything's going uh, going haywire. That's an, that's an interesting story in and of itself, because what it tells us is this manufactured reality that we've stepped into of central banks dictating the course of the economy is only maintained when all of the central banks are acting more or less in unison, or at any rate, when they are informed ahead of time of what's coming and everything is telegraphed to the markets. That's the way a centrally planned economy works. A sudden surprise decisions that no one has any time to prepare for tend to have huge 
effects and can be quite chaotic, whereas everyone appreciates when, uh, for example, a, a Greenspan or a Bernanke or a Yellen or, you know, fill in the central banker, uh, make some ob- obscure statements uh, at, uh, in the press conference about irrational exuberance or whatever, you know, key, key word phrase that they use. Janet exactly. Yellen and said then, and patience, then everyone, and we had a record high of the Dow Jones. The market exactly, moves on one exactly. word. And everyone, everyone has to turn to their, that page in their, their central banker dictionary and, well, what, what does he mean by this? And, oh, so, so now we can expect this. And that's the way this game works, and it is a game. It is a game that's being played with the, the economic world because, again, once again, the economy is fundamentally about transactions and interactions between people, and those transactions are uh, come with them expectations, expectations of what is going to take place in the future. So they are trying to set that reality ahead of time, and when someone doesn't play by that rule book, it throws the entire world into chaos and, and uh, turmoil. It, it, saps confidence. Even if you don't like what the central banks are doing, you can have a certain amount of confidence that they have the power, sufficient power, to do what they want to do. All by itself. Just having that power, whether you think it's good or bad, it inspires a kind of confidence. Maybe maybe you celebrate that confidence, maybe it's grudging confidence, but once you see that, whoops, wait a second, these guys aren't really in control. That detracts from confidence, and confidence, a psychological concept, is key, critical to the operation of the whole system, as are expectations. This is one of the things that disturbs me about this. We see markets that are running not on the basis of objective reality. What is the profit loss? How, how deep in debt is this particular corporation? How's it doing financially? Now, that's not the kind, nobody's concerned about that. I won't say no one's concerned. That's not true. But what they're mostly concerned about are not the investments, but the investors. What is the psychology of the investors? That's what the Dow Jones is measuring. More so, I, I can't even say more so, but at least significantly. It's measuring the psychology of the investors rather than the objective and financial realities of the corporations. And that strikes me as strange. It strikes me as dangerous. If this thing is running on psychological issues, it's just evidence that it can't be stable. Does that, do you agree with that or do you think I'm missing the boat? I think you're, you're on the right boat. Um, and, or you're heading in the right direction, but maybe mm-hmm. I would choose a different boat. Because I think that the, the Dow and the S&P and other figures like that are part of that psychological manipulation as well, because those numbers are based largely these days on derivatives trading, on high-frequency trading, on things that don't actually really directly uh, measure investor confidence or lack thereof. I think that the whole, all of that, all of those numbers that we're asked to keep our eyes on are part of the psychological manipulation and to get us once again to believe that the system, as you say, even if you don't like what the central banks are doing, to at least believe that they have the power to do what they're doing, which again, the, the power actually comes from our belief in that power. It's a, it's a remarkable system. And I would throw in the, the, the standard Wizard of Oz analogy, the man behind the curtain, as in the central bankers are the man behind the curtain, don't look behind the curtain. But it's, it's actually particularly apt because people who know the actual history of the writing of the Wizard of Oz know that that was a story about 
the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century um, movement to establish bimetallism in the United States as the, yeah. the, the currency backing, as in gold and silver, uh, as opposed to a gold standard or as opposed to paper. And you see that in all of the imagery encoded into that story. The yellow brick road, road is gold, and the, the Emerald City is the green fiat uh, currency. And and the ruby slippers were actually originally silver slippers, yeah. and that was the way home. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually very apt in this case that the central bankers really are the man behind the curtain. They're pulling levers, and, and it has this spectacular effect. We see the Wizard of Oz, but it, it really is an illusion. And uh, it's hard, I think, for people who are immersed in the details of, all, of the mechanics of all of these systems to see the bigger picture like that. But I think it is important that we keep that bigger picture in mind because what it means ultimately at base is if we believe in this story, then we can continue to uh, basically maintain this system, which, of course, as we know, is heavily manipulated against the interests of most of the people. It, but if we stop believing in that, if we start uh, concentrating on different methods of relating and transacting with each other in this economy, we can actually change the fundamental ways that the system is operating. And that's, I think, what the central bankers don't want you to know. They don't want you to pull back the curtain and see what they really are. I say, I agree with you, but when you say you can change it, that we can change it. If we perceive this correctly, we can change the system. I think if we perceive it correctly, we can see that the system is fraudulent and fragile, and perhaps beginning to collapse even as we speak, although it might not, they may be able to survive for several more years. I don't know. I can't say how long that is. We can maybe cause the system to collapse with our loss of confidence in it. But can we change it and put something more positive in its place? One thing to tear it down, another thing to put something in its place. Yes, yes. You're right to make that distinction because the awareness is the first half of that, and, and yeah. that has to be the penny that drops, That, metaphorically speaking, that, that gets us to question the system. But you're right. That in and of itself does not supplant the system that we're in. The only way to actually change the system itself is with elbow grease, to roll up our sleeves and to get to work. And that can be, you know, that's not a, a fun or easy thing, and it's not simply going to fall into place. And that can be as I've talked about on my program many, many, many times in many different ways, it can be everything from starting I, your own victory garden uh, is one way of getting involved in that, but of course participating in the local communities, the farmers markets, uh, uh, seed sharing, uh, crop sharing, uh, cow, uh, dairy sharing uh, operations, raw milk, that kind of thing, uh, trading in local currencies, uh, participating in uh, community credit unions, um, things of that nature are ways that we can stop giving our time, effort, energy, life, blood, which is what money really is, to, mm-hmm. to these central bankers. And it's, it's not going to be, as I've always stated, it's not going to be a 100% changeover overnight. But it, it, those are the types of ways, the, the release valves for the system, that we can start working on and expanding the scope and meaning of those while we have this moment of opportunity, while we still are living in what would I mean, it's, it's clearly a manipulated economic reality, but at any rate, most of us have some amount of time and leisure and space and ability to, to start something as simple as planting some seeds in your back garden. And, uh, and I think, again, that can be a good analogy for the process in general because small seeds, from small seeds, great things may come. And, uh, and that's the, the whole point of it. We have to start using this space of opportunity 
to start reconstructing the economic reality that we want. And I realize there are people with very large, you know, investments and portfolios and nest eggs that uh, that don't want to hear about this particularly because they're heavily invested in whatever their whatever 401k or or whatever they're they're hoping to uh, to retire on. I I understand that, and different people in different stages of their life will have different ways of relating to this this idea because they're going to be in different, you know, uh, investing modes. But uh, but as I say, you know, if the, the generation coming up is is not it does not understand that this system that we're working in right now is not only likely to collapse, but I think is destined to collapse. Yeah, that's guaranteed. Going, it's yeah, an absolute exactly. fact. It's only we just can't give you the time. You know, it may be coming. It's undoubtedly coming. Is it coming <laughs> in the next 90 days or is it coming in the next five years? That's the hard part is to pick that point. I bet it's closer to 90 days than it is to five years, but closer could be a year, could be two years, who can say. We're going to take a break for some more commercials. We'll be back in a moment with James Corbett from the Corbett Report, CorbettReport.com. Please stay tuned. of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Urge to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Urge toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm 
Alfred Adams here on the Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver, 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com, CorbettReport.com. We've been talking about the problems that have developed out of the the, uh, Swiss National Bank decoupling from the euro. They were pegged to the euro. Uh, The Swiss franc was set at 1.2 per euro back on 6th of September in 2011. And I'm reading from an article that points out an interesting coincidence, and you may be already aware of this, but that's the same day gold peaked at $1,920 per ounce. Now, they set the peg for the Swiss franc to the euro, 1.2, on the same day gold peaked. And since then, the price of gold has been generally downhill up until just in the last month or two that you could begin to say maybe we've seen a bottom on this. Are we just looking at a coincidence? Did it just happen to be? Or do you think there was any causality involved in the fact that the Swiss franc was pegged to the euro, and once that peg was established, gold began to fall? Well, let's put it this way. What has happened to the price of gold since the announcement of the SNB last week? <laughs> it's been pretty good. Yeah, it's been <laughs> yeah, $100 or so. It's been up, it's up $115 in the last 30 days. Yeah. All right. Um, since since the uh, since last Thursday, I suppose it's up 45, 50 bucks. I don't know exactly, but somewhere in that neighborhood. But it seems a little far fetched to me. But it is an interesting coincidence if that's all it is. Well, I, I think we can quite obviously see that gold in the last week has risen because of the safe haven. Uh, bets, basically, that investors are making right now. They've, they've seen the, the sort of carnage that took place last last week as a result of the announcement, and they saw that now we have large foreign currency brokers going belly up and things of this nature. We don't know how it's going to play out in the markets yet, so let's find a safe place to go. That's why every single sovereign bond uh, uh, fell last week. Uh, uh, the, the yields increased. Um, as a result of all of this money going into the, the, the bond market, uh, except for Greece, of course, it should be noted where the bonds <laughs> still continue to do bad. Uh, surprise, surprise. I should say the yields are going down. The yield went up in Greece as usual. But, um, but also, of course, gold is the other safe haven, and that's why, that's why the money flowed into that. Now, is the reverse true back in 2011? Was that uh, gold, money coming out of the gold markets and into, into what exactly? Um, into the markets? Because they knew that the uh, the Swiss uh, National Bank was now going to be more or less backing up the euro. I mean, that's one way of kind of looking at that that trade. And yes, I mean, I think there was there was absolutely some extent to which that was true. I don't know if that can account for everything. I mean, I think there are other mm-hmm. things going on in the gold market, but I think that was one important part of it. And uh, and so now we're seeing the unwinding of that. Uh, have we hit a bottom with gold? Uh, that's that's debatable. I mean, there you've got people like Harry Dent saying it's going down to 700, and you have other people on the other side of that equation saying <laughs> it's going to the moon. And I'm not particularly convinced or swayed one way or another. I certainly do expect it to be at 
its current trading range um, for the for the foreseeable future until the unforeseeable future of tomorrow, <laughs> when we'll find yeah. out what the ECB decision is and what way it looks. And I think, again, this European uh, central bank decision that Draghi is going to make on the stimulus and how it will be structured is going to be exceptionally important. In fact, potentially important for the fate of the Eurozone itself. And that's because there are some deep internal tensions in the Eurozone right now, as there have been for many years, I should say. say. Oh, really, centuries. Yes. Well, I mean, when the idea that you can put all of those European nations together and get them to sing Kumbaya after they've been fighting with each other for centuries. This has never been a stable place exactly. No, of course not. And and on top of that political tension, now we have the financial tension of wedding all of these different economies together in a single European central bank that's trying to manage a single currency for these vastly disparate economies from Germany in the north down to Greece and Italy and Spain. These economies have very little in common and, in fact, are in completely different tendencies. So trying to manage that is... I mean, it would be nightmarish even if they had the best of intentions. But, of course, from the German perspective, and if situation were going well, albatross around its neck, and that albatross is called Greece or Spain or Italy or whatever the crisis mo- uh, part of the globe is at, at the next moment. So, I mean, that tension of fighting over the, the, the direction of the Eurozone itself has certainly uh, been there since the creation of the Eurozone and has been exacerbated by the problems in recent years. And so now they're trying to figure out how to structure this European stimulus and whether individual national central banks will have to kick in um, for this or whether it will all be ECB stimulus and how they'll ring fence those economies that are not doing well. And that could inflame tensions with uh, Germany or France or some of the stronger economies. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting situation right now and is bringing to, the, to a head a lot of these tensions. You know, we have meetings going on in Davos right now to figure out what's going to happen, how they're going to continue to organize perhaps the new world order and whatever. Are they caught in a situation where they must all of a sudden say, wait a second, wait a second. We had plans. We were going to do them here at the meeting, and it may even be the European Central Bank. They had plans. They're going to do it. They had a certain idea in mind for tomorrow. And then the Swiss National Bank said, surprise, surprise, we're decoupling. Has that set some of their plans on the back burner or cause them to say, wait, wait, what are we going to do now? I, I think it, it it has at least caused second thoughts about this because I, I think there was a consensus that Draghi was going to announce something at the Thursday meeting as of uh, last week before the Swiss National Bank announced, made its announcement. I think that basically now Draghi is committed to this because the markets have now priced in a type of rebound rally on the idea that the Europeans, uh, the Eurozone is going into stimulus mode. So now the markets have priced that in. If he doesn't announce tomorrow, there will be I think even more carnage. I mean, we'll see stocks dropping like a rock if he doesn't announce. So I think he now has a gun to his head, basically making him announce uh, tomorrow, even if that was the plan, original game plan or not. There are some people who are speculating that that announcement wasn't going to come till later this year. So, so now it looks like he's kind of backed into a corner where it has to be tomorrow. So he has to make an announcement tomorrow. I'll give you that. I, I would agree he's got to make an announcement. But does he announce 500 billion? euros? Does he announce 700 billion euros? And he does he announce it basically all at once? We're going to give it to you all at once? Or 
does he drag it out? Fifty billion a month for the next five, ten yeah. months. In, in this case, months, whatever. I mean, the devil is in the details with this one mm-hmm. for, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even just the number itself. It's uh, as I say, how it's structured and which banks will be expected to kick in what and in what what manner and over what period of time and what will be the out point. I mean, will this be a QE infinity where they say it's tied to the unemployment rate or whatever, some sort of a manipulated number that they can choose to basically end it whenever they want, or will it be some specific targets of specific numbers and specific date? I mean, there's so many different variables here that can all be jiggered so that no matter what is announced in terms of an overall number, it's really, I mean, depends on how how it's actually structured. What's their real objective? What's Draghi's real objective? Now, I know he's going to say that he wants, I believe he's going to say that he wants to create inflation. They want to avoid deflation. They want to thereby stimulate the European economy. Those are the reasons that are publicized, but is it possible that they also want inflation not simply to stimulate the economy, but to wipe out part of whatever debt is owed by major institutions and governments? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an element of that. Certainly it works better for those uh, debtor uh-huh. nations during a time yeah. of inflation. But, I mean, I don't I, – I, I think that there – from from a perspective where we imagine that central bankers are really doing what they say they're doing and the economy really functions like they say it functions, I mean, there is a value to the idea of trying to kickstart some inflation where you're starting to go into a time of deflation because a healthy economy will be expanding and hopefully at just enough of a rate that it will just uh, sort of outstrip the, the what the, the, the sort of base of the economy wants so that the economy can continue growing. I mean, that's the idea that we're that's going to the theory. That's the theory, but, yeah. you know, will that work forever, or is there a limit that's built in that you're going to encounter sooner or later? Or is it can't be, yeah. anymore? Clearly, there's a limit. Yeah, I know. There's the problem. And are we there, or nearly there? Well, I, I think the, the answer to that has to come in the fact that the, these announcements keep getting bigger and more important and more hands on them, and the consequences are greater when there are market disturbances like what the S&B did last month, uh, last week. I mean, that's, I think, a sign. I mean, the volatility itself and the amount that of the, the, the type of overall stimulus that's being talked about is a sign that there is something extremely wrong in the underlying picture of what's going on. To the point where now, of course, we, we expect tri- uh, stimulus in the hundreds of billions, if not trillion-dollar level, which, I mean, let's cast our minds back. Even a few years ago, even a decade ago, these types of numbers were, I mean, staggering, mind-boggling. We've become very much used which just goes to show that they just have to keep increasing the, the sort of size and scope of the game in order to keep the players at the table. And that's it really the really the the table. It's the addicts need a bigger fix, an ever bigger fix in order to sustain their addiction. We're all addicted to this fiat currency right now, or at least the governments are, and the debt-based monetary system. And the only way this continues, they got to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And again, it's like a crack addict needs, you know, bigger hit, bigger hit, bigger hit. You get to a point where you got to have more and more and more, and it's there's an end to this. There's an article from Bloomberg, Banks Battle Speculation, Denmark's Euro, Euro peg at risk. Now, this is interesting because 
just three, four days before the Swiss National Bank unpegged the Swiss currency from the euro. The head of the Swiss National Bank assured the world that there were absolutely no plans to do so. Later, he explained that the decoupling had to be a surprise. Right? And it was a big surprise for a bunch of different reasons, but he couldn't tell anybody. That's his explanation of this. Now, what's interesting is in the last just couple of days, we've had 12 denials. I think it was maybe Monday of this week by the National Bank of Denmark, or at least Denmark. I won't say National Bank. Danish Prince, uh, no, 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 Denmark. That's all I'm going to say. They have denied that they're going to decouple the Danish krone from the euro. Does Denmark protest too much? I mean, it's a little bit like a takeoff on Hamlet. You know, I think the thinks the lady does protest too much. He thinks Denmark does protest too much. Are they going to suddenly say, that's it, we're out of here? They're the last currency that's pegged to the euro, if I understand correctly. It, yeah, well, it's absolutely possible. Um, I, I, I don't think we can take too much away from denials like that, because either way, they don't really tell us much. If they are planning it, then yes, it may just be a surprise. If they're not planning it, then they really might be serious when they say, no, we're not planning to do it. So I, I don't know if we can take anything away from a statement like that. But yeah, it is, I mean, because there is, again, Agatha Christie, and then there were none. Yeah. You know, this is one, exactly. of, this is one of those dramas really where they're the last one right now that's pegged to the euro, and it seems inevitable that they're going to break loose. And I don't know how significant that will be. Switzerland has a lot more psychological effect. People, we associate Switzerland with money. People have done that for centuries. And certainly we have throughout your lifetime and mine, you want to get a Swiss bank account, Swiss deal gold, so on. They're, they're, they're money-oriented. Denmark uh, doesn't carry the same psychological effect. But you can't help but wonder if Denmark depegs decouples their peg from euro. So are we going to see another episode, something like the Swiss National Bank? And we've only got about 15 seconds for you to answer. <laughs> In 15 seconds or less, I would say that, yes, you're right. I mean, Switzerland is a safe haven for banking, for uh, gold, for investment. So that's more important in economically speaking. But Denmark, you're right. I mean, it is important as the last kind of peg, euro peg holdout. Uh, I think it's a sign the euro is, uh, well, extremely precarious at the very least. I agree. We'll give you five more seconds. What's going to happen to the euro? Is this going to survive? And if it does, will the European Union survive? I hope not. But uh, <laughs> but oh, I, I we'll see so much tomorrow what's going to happen, and I'll be writing about mm -hmm. it in the forecaster this weekend. All right. Uh, James, thanks for being on the program. This is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. James will be back next Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you at that time. Thank you, James. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival. Be back manana.
Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is a coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Broadcast, a one-hour prophecy. Program on the American Voice Radio Network. 
featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Greetings, saints, and welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We're broadcasting live from the Flint of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is January 22nd, Most just don't realize it, but we are in the time of the end, and that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin, the world, and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Please make this choice tonight. If you need help after this program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. 620-878-4682. In an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. You can always find updates for the breaking news, our ministry, radio program, archives, and our mailing address, which is at our blog, which is very simply prophecyhour.com, prophecyhour.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.